Everyone still looks uncomfortable. Perhaps they all remembered that old saying, power corrupts. Second Officer Slog, I'm your host, and with me is a regular host, Jackson. Hello. And we are here with episode four of everyone's favorite Star Trek book club. Have you been reading Star Trek books, Jackson? I've read the one Star Trek book I was meant to read. Well, that's that's all we ask, actually. So <laughs> you've done it. You did the thing. Yeah. Um, what, what have you been doing in the meantime? How's things going? Are you excited for Discovery? Um, like in the abstract, yes, but I'm mostly just tired. <laughs> okay. Um, I think the it's been since we recorded our last one that Discovery got an actual release date for September, right? Yes, it's true. Should we, uh, we'd like to cover the basic, like, what we're going to do in the first segment in case you're like, oh, I don't want to listen to this for spoilers. Uh, yeah, yeah, but first so... I, I wanted to talk a bit about our future plans for Discovery. Oh, no, I was segueing into that, because, yeah, we oh, okay, have, okay, we have okay. plans for, for what we're going to do for there's an actual star trek series airing this year that's crazy yeah and we are going to cover it uh our plan is to do episodes the week we'll do episodes about the episodes that's dumb but we'll do them the week they air uh probably uh time permitting of course but we will do recaps and reactions to the new star trek we will both be watching a new star trek as star trek fans and it's going to be weird they will be uh, in September weekly bonus episodes, probably little little shorter than real episodes. But I don't know how long. We'll, we would yell about them without the re- recording on for hours anyway. So we'll see how that ends up going. But yes, yeah, it'll be great. What if the show's bad? If the show's bad, then our episodes are going to be even longer, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it depends what kind of bad. That's true. What oh. if it's the return of pure Star Trek bad, <laughs> not this fake bad that we've had for a while? Um, then then the episodes will be the longest episodes we could possibly do. <laughs> it's true. If they're like if they're like the Abrams verse, they'll be very short. Yep. The negotiations were short. <laughs> right, we're not allowed to get it. We don't have time. <laughs> There's only one. We're only allowed one Star Wars reference an episode, and that's the one I took it. So. You took it. Oh man, god damn it. So, do you want to tell people what we're covering today, and I'll tell them what we're covering next month before we get into it? Uh, yes, this month is uh, a different approach from what we've done recently. Uh, we've been doing the DS9 books, but today we are reading Imzadi by Peter David, which is a TNG uh, prequel, sequel, tie-in book that deals with lots of time bullshit, but basically focuses on uh, the relationship between um, Riker uh, and Troy. Uh, the episodes we're doing are Our Haven, which is season 01, episode 11 of TNG, and Second Chances, which is... Uh, Season six, episode twenty-four of TNG. So this episode, uh, this episode that we're doing right now, is meant to be more inclusive to people who haven't watched all of DS Nine. Those last episodes, full of spoilers. Do not listen to them if you haven't seen all the way through DS Nine. But this, just come in. We'll keep it light. We promise not to not to throw any DS Nine spoilers in the discussion. We promise. Yeah, we'll do our best. We'll do our best. So yeah. now, now you said that the urge to actually throw it in DS9 spoilers is really high, but I actually want people to listen to this. So I well, there are definitely things that I that I read in this book and was like, ah, ah, this relates to this other thing because DS9 is that good a show. But we'll be nice and 
if you enjoy this, you should you should go watch uh, you should go watch DS Nine and then carry on on this journey to the future. But that's the basic plan. Uh, oh, this trek through the stars. Fuck off. What are we doing next month? <laughs> next month, uh, we for books we are starting Mission Gamma, which is a four book series of the DS Nine relaunch. So. Uh, you know, if you want to get back into that, uh, finish DS9 and listen to our prior episodes because it'll be building off of those. The first book is called Twilight. It is by David R. George III. Uh, it is from 2002. <laughs> what? Sorry. <laughs> this is a Star Trek book written by an old king. <laughs> um, Sorry, David, but I had to laugh at your name. <laughs> and uh, I hope it's good because there's four of them. And if this series is bad, then we're on the hook for four bad books. And let's hope that's not the case. Uh, episodes we are gonna kind of focus while we're doing uh while we're doing these um mission gamma books we're gonna kind of, kind of focus on classic episodes of tos because uh jackson really hasn't watched uh much of it and i haven't watched all of it and i could use a refresher course um so we are doing the episodes balance of terror which is season one uh episode eight which is the introduction of the romulans and then we're doing classic episode mirror mirror season two episode 10 which is the introduction of the mirror universe, um, which I I can't believe they didn't do a mirror universe TNG episode. Uh, they didn't. Did, well, no, because it wasn't until bringing that back in DS9 was even like a thing anyone cared about. I know, but because that happened and people care so much about the dumb. I mean, there's so many books about the mirror universe and the mirror universe is such like an iconic image of like what Star Trek is that it just surprises me. It is surprising. But also because it is what it is and knowing what I do about like uh, the books that deal with it, it kind of sounds like all the TNG part of that sucks. Like Mirror Universe Picard just being buff as hell revolutionary. So that's only in that comic series that where we that, laugh no, at that's when not, we see it. That's, that is how he is. So I don't know how buff as hell he is in the actual thing, but he is totally when, the when hidden revolutionary. D- d- to kick the football down the road a little bit, yep. uh, if we ever get to the second trilogy of Shatnerverse novels, it deals with Mirror Universe, including TNG, and in that card is like a like half his face is scarred Klingon warrior, like he was raised by Klingons. Oh, oh that's <laughs> and so he's got much like better. his he's got long hair and like a ponytail like a Klingon does. But he's oh. also probably bald, I guess. I don't know. I don't remember that part. <laughs> oh, yes. God, yes. we have to get to the Shatnerverse bullshit. Uh, yep. Final bit of housekeeping hypothetical ideas that we're going to get to. Um, in addition to the uh, Discovery podcasts, we are going to be at some point, no tentative date. These will happen randomly as and when. Uh, be doing shorter podcasts where we re- like focus on comics rather than books. This came out out of an evening of looking at panels from Star Trek comics and losing our goddamn minds. So we have to yep. share that with you. Uh, yeah, those are on no normal schedule. Uh, so you can't really keep up with us. But we, when we do put them up, we will have image galleries of the panels that we laugh the hardest at. Uh, because Star Trek comics are ridiculous. <laughs> yep. Dead. Star Trek is good. Star Trek comics are good, but in opposite ways. <laughs> The first image I showed to you was of a comic that was a tie-in to TNG, at, like clearly drawn before the show had started. So it was based off concept art, and it just has like the Enterprise phasing through Picard in like this really uh, psychedelic-looking image, and th- and we knew we had to do this at some day. Yep. So these are the uh, things. So yep, these are the voyages. Shut up. You can't do that every time. That's twice you've made that same basic joke. 
Yeah, no, this is the Star Trek. If I can't do it now, when can I do it, Jackson? You were just doing a negotiations or short joke. Don't come and tell me that you're like looking for appropriate times. <laughs> I can't turn that into a Star Trek episode, but I'm sure <laughs> one exists. I just don't know it. Anyway, uh... We're going to get into our episodes before that. If you want to help support us, you can go to patreon.com slash mapping and pledge to help support the show and all the other shows we do. We will uh, plug all the shows at the end of the episode. But, you know, in case you didn't want to listen to one part of this or another, uh, that's where we're at. We'll be back next month with those. And after the musical break, we'll be back with our episodes. first episode this month is haven which is season one of the next generation episode 11 it aired the 30th of november 1987 i was a toddler uh is by tracy torme uh story by tracy torme and lana kuhn and directed by richard compton this is an episode in which troy receives a mysterious box with a creepy face on it and that box dispenses gems it is her dowry it is time for her to get married to the guy that she has been betrothed to since she was a child his name is wyatt and he comes on board and is like you're not the woman i expected because he has a weird psychic link to the idea of the woman he was supposed to be with because he's been sketching her and she looks like an 80s lady uh way more so than deanna troy does and then loxana comes on board and hijinks ensue and there's a story about a virus but who cares jackson this is Season one of TNG is a bad show. This is maybe one of the worst episodes of season one of TNG. This episode is intolerable. I was watching it and it like begins with Facebox, which is maybe the most Doctor Who bullshit I've ever seen in Star Trek. Uh, uh, Facebox, for the record, played by Armin Shimmerman. <laughs> is that where Armin Shimmerman begins? Yep. Oh, Oh, you know what? He might have played... He No, he played a Ferengi in The Last Outpost first. Oh, was that... I don't know where the episodes... The orders go. I know he was... Yeah, unless this was filmed beforehand. Uh, Yeah. Oh, uh, looking at Memory Alpha, actually. Yes. uh, Haven was filmed before The Last Outpost. So, yes, this is his beginning in Star Trek. The fourth produced episode of TNG. And then they sat on it because they knew what they had. (laughs) They knew that even... They knew they had to bump up uh, Space Africans. Uh, Yeah, no. Need the Space... I mean... If a show, if TNG season one aired today, it would have been canceled five episodes in. 
yeah watching early tng and seeing like the amount it was allowed to just be shit and figure out how to one day not be shit is like that kind of slack is not given to tv anymore i don't know is that true ages of shield is still on uh look (laughs) let's not take shots at shows we don't even watch so uh this is the introduction, th- maybe the mo- most important part of this episode. This is the introduction of Loxana Troy and Mr. Holm, who are the best recurring characters on TNG, I feel like. <laughs> They're so ridiculous. Uh, Loxana Troy, of course, are played by uh, Majel Barrett Roddenberry, who is amazing in everything she does. Uh, I really love Loxana. I think she's a great introduction. I feel like she's played really broad in this episode because she's basically like a tantrum throwing toddler mm-hmm. through the entirety of the show yeah uh the amazing scene where she and wyatt's parents are in like the like pre-wedding banquet and she's just fucking with those old people because they're stuck up and she's locks on a troy is uh it, it kind of infuriating but also i feel like i mostly side with Luxana and most everything in this show except for the part where uh like this arranged marriage is clearly a bad idea yeah, well, this episode's weird because, like, you're meant to find Luxwana ridiculous. And she is ridiculous. Like, she's she's asking Captain Picard to carry her bags. But also, then you get to watch Captain Picard, like, picking up bags and running down the corridor. Yep. <laughs> and that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, Like, they, they, they've introduced Deanna as, like, her empathic abilities, and she always tells people exactly what people watching the show and paying attention were feeling in every episode. But Luxana is our first introduction to, like, an actual Betazoid and, like, one who's really good at, like, reading minds and stuff. And so introducing her as this person who constantly makes people uncomfortable by being frank and, like, lampooning their, like, most held traits by turning, like, the very severe, especially in Season 1, Captain Picard into a glorified bellhop is, I think, one of the better characterizations of what Loxana represents on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the reason she works is that she takes everyone's self-seriousness, and TNG is very self-serious, down a peg. Uh, and that's always it's always a relief to me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it also results in just some fantastic, uh, like, uh, gesture acting when the voice is coming in on a voiceover and then Luxmana is like acting out like she's saying the lines with her arms <laughs> and yep. the voice is coming into like Troy's head and you're like oh oh this is so good they had no idea what this was they're just going for it thank god yeah no the telepathic speech in TNG has always been incredibly badly done I feel like yeah it's uh, like i get i get in theory why you think it's a good idea when you write it into a script but making people try to act it is terrible it's terrible it's it's yeah it's crazy and then as the episode goes along the other like the things that come up are like Riker's jealous because it's season one Riker, uh and he's jealous of this guy like so the episode starts and you think oh i know exactly where this plot's going it's going to be about uh troy standing up to her mother and not marrying this guy obviously that's obviously how this goes but that's not what happens at all she's like actually i'm 100 percent gonna marry this guy i think it sucks but i have to do it because i'm that's tradition and then through ridiculous coincidence he like runs into the girl he'd been drawing because they are like transmitting uh they're on like a, a ship with a plague on it and he like, beams over there because he's like it's my destiny to cure this plague uh and be with this woman 
Yep. Uh, uh, like the actual, I guess the actual plot is they're going to the planet that they're around. Is that this planet called Haven? I think planet's the planet's called, called Haven. Haven. Yes, and uh, that planet's supposed to have like restorative properties, and this plague ship shows up, and the lady contacts Picard is like, you have to blow that ship out of the sky. And then they talk to the ship, and the ship is like, no, 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 we actually came here to find uh, Wyatt, because because in one of maybe the worst things until Beverly Crusher fuck ghost, it is implied that this 80s lady and Wyatt have actual a magical connection, like their collective unconsciousness linked up. And that's why they're having visions of each other and drawing each other because love knows no bounds and will cross the universe to link you with your chosen it, one. It's amazing. No, it's garbage. It's, it's fucking terrible. Because you're like, okay, what is this? What kind of Star Trek bullshit is happening here? And then Luxmana sits uh, Wyatt down and is like, the truth is much more simple than even humans realize. They're too concerned. You're just connected with each other. And I'm like, fuck off, boo, boo. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, everyone's like, oh, this is very unusual. And Luxmana's like, no, it's just love magic. And it just <laughs> turns out to be love magic. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> oh. And also, I think it's it's key to say that the way this guy plays everything, he just comes across as the creepiest guy. <laughs> Wyatt is twenty or twenty five years too early. The softest soft boy that is ever soft. None more soft. None more boy. Just walking around. Yep. Like, oh yeah, I know it's actually bad to draw. Uh, you know, to to to, to draw. Uh, pictures of a woman you only know and then be disappointed it's not i can't put that on you that's so unfair i'm so sorry but also he's like he's a doctor and so when he meets uh deanna and they talk in private uh she they're like getting to know each other and she's like well i'm a practicing psychologist he's like oh i'm a doctor we could team up we could have a shared practice and it's like (laughs) the most 80s version of like supportive husband and it's just the most cringe inducing bullshit because he's totally ridden to be like, oh, you don't, you're not meant to hate him. Because you think you're no. going to hate him, and you're just no, meant to find him he, nice. But because but, of that, and because this episode is like thirty years old, he is detestable. He is, yeah, just an awful person. And not through any fault of his own. It's just eighties men were bad. And then he beams off to this other ship, and then his parents are like, he's gone to, he's gone to a plague ship. You let him go to a plague ship. We came here to get him married, and now we lost him to the plague. <laughs> That's he can make his own choices. Scene. He's an adult. Yeah. And he's just like on the view screen, like, mother, I had to do this. It was love magic, you see. <laughs> Um, you know, actually, so one of the things that's like one of the reasons why it's always been kind of a big doofus to me is because he's introduced with his parents, he just always seems like kind of like an awkward teenager. Yep. Uh, even though he's clearly like around the same age as Deanna. And I think it's interesting because one of the things that happens to Deanna in this episode, but also like any episode of Laksana is, is we see Deanna is like a member of the crew and is also a professional. But the minute you throw her mom on the ship, you like remember that Deanna Troy and like everyone on the ship that isn't Picard is like probably in their Mm twenties and they feel very young. Yeah. Which is partly just a thing that is true of like when you meet someone at work's parents as well. Yes. But it's also a side effect of like the writing and how uh, they deal with uh, this relationship. Everyone's too Mm -hmm. young. I don't like it. They should get older, but not too old. (laughs) Not too old. We don't want to, we don't want to sail into interaction. No. Just yet. We have a ways to go. A ways to go, yeah. Um, One of my favorite actual things that happens in this, by the way, is uh, Picard, who is 
basically the butt of every joke in this episode, then gets to exercise his one moment of agency where he, in the middle of like the disastrous like dinner, uh, or it's not the dinner scene, but it's like before that they're yes. just having like a little cocktail soiree. He's <laughs> like, I am the captain and I've d- decided that all disagreements are resolved and so be it. And so it shall be. <laughs> it, it is the most... Uh, referencing another podcast here, but it is like a, just a cartoon friends at the table rolling to just resolve a conflict through bullshit that I've ever seen on Star Trek. He just goes, ah, yes, actually, according to me, uh, you can't be arguing anymore because this is a social gathering and I've decided it. Everything's fine. And then everyone laughs like, ha, everything is fine. Yep. <laughs> it's ridiculous. This is, uh, this is a bad episode. It, you can find fun in laughing at it more than it being funny. Um, Picard is good in it, though. It does have the one unredeemable thing about, like, two season one Trek episodes, and that is that Deanna calls William Riker Bill. I hate it! I hate it so much! I hate it! You can tell in my voice, this is... I hate, I hate it, not gif. I hate it. Bill Riker. Billy Rikes. Ah, uh, Billy and Riker. <laughs> no. Yep. No! The problem with that is that it just, uh, I mean, you know, it's like, uh, it's because of Shatner. Like, it just makes it seem like the 60th, 60s thing that's ever happened to call William T. Riker Bill. It's not good. Nobody under the age of 40 named Bill exists. That's my (laughs) feeling. Yeah. If you're young called Bill, then fuck you. (laughs) Yep. No, change it to Will. Change it to Will or William. No one's called Bill anymore. I'm changing it to Willard. You can't stop me. That's fine. I'll take Willard over Bill. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's 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 unforgivable. It's not okay. Mm-mm-mm. It happens. And that's kind of that, yeah. That's kind of all that Haven deserves to be talked about. I feel like. the one hilarious, like clearly intentional, hilarious moment. Uh, it comes at that dinner scene where everything's kicking off. Everyone's arguing. They're like, oh, naked Betazoid wedding. Because that's introduced in this episode. It's where that comes from. It's a cartoon. Uh, And (laughs) Troy just like, so this whole, this whole dinner, uh, Mr. Hom has been like banging a gong. (laughs) Yeah, that's what he does. That's what he does to say thank you for the food. Every time he eats a bit of food, he bangs a gong and everyone's been ignoring it. And you're like waiting for someone to snap. But instead, it's Troy who snaps at her mother for being annoying. Uh, And she just like yells at everyone. It's like, you all suck, especially you, mom. And just storms out. But as she's going, as she walks past, Mr. Hom like bangs the gong. And as she is walking past immediately after, she smacks the gong off the table and it makes the same sound effect. And I died. I died laughing. It was so funny. (laughs) Yep. Uh, it's good. Star Trek characters throwing tantrums is great because Star Trek characters are inherently lampoonable when they are not being self-serious. Yep. I feel like that's the thing I come back to on TNG. The characters are so, like, official and buttoned up that whenever they violate that, it's great. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, our next episode, Jackson, would you like to introduce it? Uh, so, we are taking a journey to the other side of TNG for episode 24 of season six second chances with a story by michael medlock and teleplay by rene eschevaria uh directed by lavar burton it aired on the 24th of may 1993 i did not exist i did you did i did uh this uh what is this episode about jackson this episode uh 
I'm just going to read the memory alpha description. We should have read it one for Haven because the Haven one was hilarious. But I'm just going to read the description. It says, The Enterprise finds a second Will Riker on a planet that he helped evacuate eight years ago. So what happens is they pull in. They're like, oh, we have to re- retreat. Eight years ago, I was on the station. It was a huge thing. We were trying to like retrieve this data. And as we were beaming out something there was like we got caught in a distortion field and we could never go back but now eight years later the sun is in such a position techno babble that we have got a chance to go back and recover this data so the enterprise goes and uh Riker and data and wharf beam down and then they're standing there and then who walks in but another will Riker, who was of course created as like he was trying to transport away and will Riker got away but this other Riker stayed behind the transporter created a copy so let let's let me explain the exact mechanics of how Okay, are we so going to go into the this reason now? that they can't beam down is because there's like this very thick cloud around the planet that only it only has gaps in it when it like nears the planet in its orbit because it has like an irregular orbit. So when they were beaming Will Riker up, it was right as this was this window was closing, and they go to beam him up, and they're having trouble. So they use a second containment beam in the transporter. Like they basically start a second transporter to like duplicate the beam and strengthen it. And that works, and they bring Riker up, and so they shut down both beams, but the second beam reflects off of the cloud cover that is now, like, blocking the spot where the beam was, and beam, like, as it reflects the pattern back to the pad, it rematerializes Lieutenant Riker on the planet where he was as the window's closing. So they have Riker that they beamed up. They Riker is on the planet from the reflection. They are both Will Riker down to the atom Will Riker is suddenly two people because the transporter is magic. <laughs> There's a couple of episodes like this where a transporter thing will like lead into um, like a duplicate. And in, in those episodes, it becomes abundantly clear that the transporter, you are dead every time you use it. And every time you use the transporter, it's a new person. Like sometimes Star Trek isn't clear about that and just hand waves it because you can't actually deal with that. But in an episode like this, it's not about that sensation, but it does just admit it to be 100% true. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it just takes you apart atom by atom and reconstructs you because that's just a thing that can happen in, like, seconds and just a, a thing everyone does every day. Yep. And they're like, oh, great. You, you are two people now. And so the actual plot of the episode revolves uh, around how the, like, two Rikers deal with being, like, they how they relate to each other and also how they relate to Troy. Uh, It's a very character-centric episode. There is a vague B-plot drama as ever there is. Uh, This episode is getting that data out of that planet. But it is mostly character work for the whole episode. And it's really good. It's such a good episode. The basic premise is Will Riker at this point, like when he was going to leave this planet, uh, his goal was to meet with Deanna Troy on, was it, Riza, or was it just somewhere else? Riza, yeah, it was Riza. Okay, he was supposed to meet Deanna Troy, who they were they were in a relationship, but it was kind of long distance and on again, off again. It's implied, and they were going to meet on Riza, and the implication that Riker beamed down. Let's call him Riker Yellow. He's going to get a name at the end of the episode. Let's call him Riker Yellow. Oh, can we not just uh, get do the name now? <laughs> get over. No, with. let's call him Riker Yellow. Okay. That's funnier. <laughs> <laughs> so Riker Yellow, <laughs> Riker Yellow, and Riker Red. Uh, so Riker Yellow was going to meet Deanna, and his 
implication was that he was like going to meet her and like be like let's take this more seriously let's like actually get married like let's do this let's do this for real and this opinion has only been strengthened by being stranded alone on a federation outpost for eight years with no one around and it's slowly like falling apart around him so he is just like desperate castaway tom hanks volleyball in love with the idea of deanna troy at this point meanwhile Riker Red got beamed up, and because he was so successful in getting getting everyone off of that outpost, he like got fast tracked to a promotion. And then he didn't meet Deanna on Riza, and that's how they started to really drift apart because he focused on his career because he was advancing faster. And he was like, "Oh, I'm gonna just be good at being Starfleet," and that connection never happened. And that's how they drifted apart. And that's why when she showed up on the Enterprise years later, he's like, "Oh." Deanna and then she's like oh Will and then they have or no oh Bill sorry <laughs> season one and uh they have that interaction that's very awkward in Encounter at Firepoint and then their relationship is just kind of uh weird on and off like flirtation with maybe getting back together but never actually doing it for all of TNG uh which makes it really complicated when like her and Riker are like best of friends uh and then Riker Yellow shows up and suddenly he is like entirely in love with her and because she's like empathic and because her and Riker have this incredible bond and because she still like loves him and they love each other uh she feels the same way towards him uh like once she separates the two is like people she's like oh this is like the Riker I left and those feelings are still there and that's really complicated yeah and so it's just these two people or three people dealing with this like fucking nonsense sci-fi situation but mostly just having to like deal with it by talking to everyone at length about how they feel so it's the most star trek possible it's so good it it is a great episode uh this is some of my favorite riker troy interactions in all of tng like there's actually a lot of good scenes between them uh but like the episode opens with Riker in his like alien jazz band where he's like the one human and he's playing trombone and he's like, what take requests. And Deanna is like drinking with Beverly Crusher and she shouts the one song that she knows he can't play at him. And he just gives her like this most withering look as like he knows and she knows. And they're ha- like, she's having a great time. Just like, fucking owning him for <laughs> yep. being a doofus and it's so good and he's like, uh, those he's two's like about friendship to, he's like about to play the song and then yep. immediately gets like a uh, to the bridge please and just gives yep. her a look like ha hoisted goodbye <laughs> it, is such, it is like the way they can just portray their like friendship you're saying just in these little scenes is so good and detailed and just the like acting there's a lot of very good acting in this episode everyone knows how to act for star trek yeah this is and there's also like post Deanna getting a uniform and being a much better written character so you have like the scene where when she's like conflicted about her feelings for Riker Yellow she's like doing uh Klingon calisthenics with Crusher in the like gym room uh which is always the most dated of looks you remember the show is 93 when they're in these like entirely terry cloth geese doing it's stunning fake tai chi and talking about boys uh which is what they are doing um unfortunately and it's a shame because I like both characters. Whenever Troy and Crusher are having a conversation, it is always about boys. Every single time. Yep. It's a shame because I enjoy their boy conversations. Like the bit where uh, Crusher just like sees Riker coming and is like, oh, guess I have to leave now for to do other things. <laughs> Goodbye. And then yeah. Troy's just like, Beverly, we're going. <laughs> the best part is riker yellow meanders in in like an all like also in a terry club key and just starts doing like the like dumbest like i don't actually exercise but i'm gonna try to look cool <laughs> stretches yep 
Uh, and he just comes across as like this posturing, like jock dickhead, but like a well-meaning one. Mm -hmm. And, uh, then like, uh, Deanna is doing her Klingon calisthenics and Riker is doing, he's like, oh, that looks like Tai Chi. And so he's doing Tai Chi moves that reflect these Klingon ones back at her. So they're doing them together and it is both hilarious. And like, I think it's really interesting to see Deanna as like. She's, like, a much different person than Riker Yellow knew when he, like, left her and was going to meet her back on Ryza. Like, she's been through a lot of shit. She's had a career. She's, like, a, a person with a lot of complexity that the show didn't give her to start with. Yeah. Um, And I really like that interaction where she is clearly the one who can get the best of Riker Yellow. Like, she is the one in control in that relationship. Mm -hmm. Completely. Uh, which also, that scene features a 360 tracking shot of the... Tai Chi battle in complete silence. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Look, sometimes, sometimes Next Generation makes the arty choices, and they're the best ones. Oh, oh, thank you so thank much. Thank you, LeVar Burton, LeVar for Burton, making thank you. that shot. Uh, yeah, well, we mentioned this was directed by LeVar Burton. This is actually his uh, first directorial debut. Uh, he will go on to direct a bunch of stuff, I'm pretty sure, Yeah, uh, I think like everyone only, else. I think it's only one more in... Uh, TNG, but he is definitely like him and Frakes. I know are, are the two people who constantly come back to all the other shows to direct. Oh yeah, I mean like Frakes is like literally just a director these days, yep. so he's direct. He directs everything. Yep. Um, and uh, because of that there isn't actually uh that much in terms of like Jordy stuff in this episode, but the, we we'd be remiss to not mention the amazing Data Wharf scene. In this oh, show. the amazing Data Wharf scene. So one of the things that's really really good about this episode which I, I haven't rewatched enough season 6 TNG to know if it's like just across the board or if this is particularly good I'm going to assume a bit of both uh, is the there are just so many amazing tiny like blink if you miss it character beats that the actors get to do um, there's a lot of that in this season this yeah. season like season 5 is when that really hits its stride and then it, 6 is a lot of that so there's like a scene where Riker and Picard are talking and uh, Riker Red and Picard are talking and Riker Red like walks out clearly distressed and Picard's given him advice about what he thinks is best and it just holds a shot on Picard for like two seconds of Picard like looking like a sad dad wanting to do like to do the right thing but knowing he can't like actually you know overstep his bounds because TNG is ultimately always a show about navigating relationship boundaries uh and this the scene with wolf uh and um and data comes right at the end when uh riker red and riker yellow go off to do the mission together and confront their like resentment towards each other and it happens by um <laughs> it's standing there and data goes uh why is it that that uh, humans do not like doubles is it because they are they do not like uh, they do, they don't like being reminded that they're not possibly unique in the universe, and uh, and then Wolf goes, well, well, I'm I'm not very nice to get along with sometimes, and then Data just makes a face like, ah, yes, of course, <laughs> and, yep. and it's like, and it doesn't stop the conversation, and they're like, oh no, I think uh, what we're seeing here is like having to look at yourself and the parts you don't like, and like the theme of the episode is uh, Gary is on in the scene, but the moment is that like Brent Spiner going, ah. Yes, of course. You're not very likable, are you, Wolf? And it's fucking hilarious. It is what you oh, get. Worf's not easy to get on with. He's likable, but he's a yes, difficult person to know. That's the line. Sorry, I messed yep. up the line. But it's such a good line and such a good bit. And it's what you get when you have like a show that runs for this long that just super understands why the characters are who they are. 
Yep. Uh, there's a really good interaction that uh, I keep going back to in 10 forward between uh, Riker, Red, and Troy, where like her and Riker Yellow have like hooked up because the, their Tai Chi battle ends with them kissing on the floor of the gym. Uh, and she meets him in 10, Riker Red in 10 forward. And she sits down and she's like, she's like trying to figure out how to talk about what's going on, even though Riker Red knows that there's stuff going on and like, whatever, like the conversation ends up in like a really good place where they're fine with it. But she stops and pauses and like is about to speak and doesn't know how to talk about the fact that she's fucking time displaced clone Riker, (laughs) basically. And it's so good and like honest about sometimes star trek is unfathomable but everyone rolls with it because they all live in this universe where this stuff happens all the time and then Riker like basically like takes a long breath and like looks exasperated and then is like yeah it's complicated but you're happy with him and i'm happy for you and because just because he looks like me and i kind of don't get on with him doesn't mean that i don't want that for you and it's just like they are the best friends and i love all their interactions it's so good it's yeah it's so good and then there's also a scene where uh, both rikers play poker with each other yeah because uh, uh riker yellow crashes the poker game uh to them tonight it is just wharf data and riker red uh and because obviously you know the poker game is just going to be riker versus riker uh <laughs> it's like five card draw and then they they all draw and like riker draws three like riker yellow draws three and uh uh Riker red draws none because he's he's got a good hand and then wolf draws like four and everyone looks at him and then he immediately gets given the four and it's like i fold (laughs) so the so two things one because the um because the poker scenes are always used for exposition for characters that are like conflicted about something and don't know how to talk about it and wharf is not that character in any poker scene (laughs) that is a protracted character metaphor wharf immediately folds so the like implied fact of the universe is that Worf is just really bad at poker but is there every time anyway <laughs> which is very pure and good not even that he's bad but just like he is bad but also just is actually handed terrible hands every time <laughs> sure but like maybe also it just doesn't know how to deal with that because the other thing like Riker doesn't take any cards Riker Red it is to me it is implied as it is always implied that Riker Red is bluffing because I feel like Riker Red will always bluff on anything. It doesn't matter what hand he has. That is just the person he is. Mm-hmm. I I was waiting for it to get to that point, and you see Riker Red was bluffing, and they're like, "Oh, we're actually we're not that different people." But it just ends with like Riker Yellow hitting this because they 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 bet a, they bet big and they like start betting. Yeah, because they're both they're both like. Uh, if Riker Red is bluffing, we don't actually see his hand, but they are in a betting war with each other. And it is clear because Riker Yellow is like flop sweating almost that he is bluffing for sure. <laughs> and Riker's like, Riker Red's like, I know all your tells, you're bluffing. Uh, because he is confident in a way Riker Yellow is not. Uh, and they just keep, like, it's just his brinksmanship until Riker Yellow folds as like the less experienced Riker. And it's so good at showing why Riker Red is, like, Riker's. Like, neither Riker is bad, but because Riker Red has had so much more life experience, he is just, like, overbearing in a way that Riker Yellow cannot handle. Yeah, it's like, if, it's, it's like this, like, really quiet, sad moment, because I'm glad it doesn't, like, play up um, Riker Yellow's anger at the other Riker, but it's like, this is what happens if you're in a really bad place, and then you meet, like, a version of you that, like, had a great life, and was able to work through all their issues, and is super, like, in control, and you're like, oh... I don't get to be that, but I have to like see that, and and that's like the moment he knows that 
if I'm going to be a person, I cannot be, like, confronted with this perfect... Well, not perfect, but, like, version of me that I want to become, but I don't want to emulate. So he, like... Yeah, it's... it's no... I think it's even... Oh, you guys... I think it's even more profound than that, where, like, he... Like, Riker Yellow thinks of himself before the Enterprise shows up as actually, like, carrying on really well in the face of everything horrible that's happened to him. Like, he's survived, he's fixed the station multiple times, he set his own arm when it broke, like, he was getting by. And he gets picked up, and suddenly, like, Deanna's there, and that's amazing, and he's free again, and his life can carry on. And I feel like he feels really great until he's confronted with the fact of Riker Red's, like, greatness surpassed him. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way he can chase the man who had eight years of being awesome on top of him, even if he's still awesome. Like, Riker Yellow is as awesome as Riker Red, but you can't catch those eight years. Like, they're just gone. Yeah, and it's not even like... It's not even like he is... When he interacted with Riker Red, that he's, like, uh, jealous that he's been able to do so much more than him. It's, It's like a greater divide than that. He, like, sees this... The kind of greatness that he wants is such a different person to what the actual Riker has become, and he sees how much better like the real Riker is than the imaginary good version of himself in his head, and just knows that he has to go and live his own life and be on DS9. <laughs> he doesn't know that yep. by the end of the episode, but... Uh, it's re- uh, it's really good, and then you get the final scene where there's clearly... I'm fairly sure there's a cutscene, which I wish I could see, where Picard and Riker Yellow talk. Um, because he comes in like, oh, Picard's got me a promotion somewhere else. He's he's came in and found a kind of solution where I can start my career again away from this and define myself as a person. Uh, and realizes that he's not going to be able to see Troy if he get if he um if he makes that decision if he goes there. And he doesn't even like want to now because he's like, it can't really break this bond between uh Riker Red and Troy. And yep. so he just kind of walks out taps Riker on the shoulder and like please take care of her please do well and then there's just about 45 seconds of silence as Riker and um Troy stand there together don't really know what to do and then just hold hands like friends and walk out because I guess we carry on and it's so fucking good yep this is when he takes his name by the way Yes, which is Tom Riker after his middle name, Thomas, which uh, hilariously, conf- like a lot of things we'll talk about, conflicts with facts presented in the book we're about to read, in which it is stated that the T in Riker stands for Thelonious. Because of this, and because of how I watched TNG, the idea that this was a reveal is like, no, his middle name's Thomas, what are you talking about? Hang on. <laughs> well, how is he Thelonious? Is that, a, like, is that a different version of Thomas in space? I don't fucking know. No, Thelonious, like Thelonious Monk, the jazz player. That's why you pick that for your book that you wrote. That's, that's what the T stands for. Uh, we'll get to that book in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple things that are worth talking about in this episode that are not part of this. One, um, there is a cameo uh, yes. by uh, Dr. Mae Jemison in this episode, which uh, she is the first uh, black astronaut. Uh, and she is just she plays like a lieutenant or whatever named Palmer. And uh, she's just in the show, and it's great to see her. Uh, if you know anything about history in her, you will spot her instantly, mm-hmm. uh, because she looks like a person who belongs in space in a way most of the extras in TNG do not. <laughs> it's so true. Uh, there's amazing, um, like, really cute behind-the-scenes shots of, like, uh, everyone coming to meet her on set. It's great. Yep. Yeah, because, like, Michelle Nichols came on set to yep. meet her, which is amazing. Um. Uh, another thing worth pointing out, uh, 
if you like compare this episode, because one of the things that's easy to forget about this episode, because it's a genuinely good episode, is this is like a technology gimmick episode because it's about all the mirror shots. Mm -hmm. And if you compare it to like data lore in season one, the like quality of Riker interacting with Riker in this episode is amazing. It's really seamless. There's only one shot that I think is like kind of hinky where they're arguing with each other in engineering. And I feel like every other shot is exceptional, exceptional to the point where you kind of forget that it is one actor interacting with himself. Mm -hmm. Cause it's all mostly, uh, like there's super good like blocking in scenes where they're like, okay, this Riker's gonna go under the table and be fixing stuff, while the other Riker's atop the table. So the way the shot is framed, you see one person's legs and the other person's head every time. Yeah, uh, like they're really smart about getting around it. And then when they do like pick their moments to have the like shots where they've uh, used doubles and stuff, it meshes really well. Yeah, but because they mostly shoot it as two characters in a scene and not a special effects shot, like I think of like when. Riker brings Tom the trombone at the very end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's just the way you would shoot two characters like exchanging a gift, and it it doesn't read as like this is our flashy special effects shot. And I love that about it. Yeah, I'd re- I'd basically forget, like I was looking out for the seams and other shots, but by the end, I, it was just an episode, and I didn't I didn't like think oh that's the same person, even though I know that. Like yep. you just watched the scene. It's really good. And then Jackson, please tell us the most amazing trivia about this episode. <laughs> So, <laughs> there exists an alternate universe in our own where different decisions were creatively made. I'm just going to read this little little quote from Memory Alpha here. In the early stages of writing the episode, the production team briefly considered killing off Will Riker and having Thomas join the USS Enterprise D's crew as his replacement. Replacement, uh, by the way, is in quotation marks. Do you want, here's why, because the second sentence is almost crazier. Tom Riker would have replaced Data at operations, and Data would have been promoted to first officer. What? Uh, that actually, like, so I don't, I think having Tom Riker be Riker's replacement is, like, bad, and it would just led to a bunch of really awful Riker-Troy episodes, I feel like. Having Data first officer of the Enterprise sounds amazing. Yep. <laughs> <sighs> Don't worry, later they'll get, like, the budget and time to do huge stories with Data in movies. It'll be really good. Yeah, no, sure, I'm sure it'll be great. I'm sure we'll love every second of it. The actual the actual bullet that they've dodged, or the path that was taken instead, is we get Troy Worf. Because Troy Worf wouldn't have happened That's if true. Thomas Riker stayed around. What if it still did? And, oh, God, nope, nope, don't want to think about that. That's going to be the worst. Uh, Troy Worf is my favorite thing late TNG does. It's so good. How does the episode with the, like, uh, the one before all good things with, like, Riker in the blown up ship in the future go with Thomas Riker? (laughs) So many different paths. I mean, in that that episode, he would just be Riker Red, like Will Riker, right? I guess so. I guess. Yeah. Oh, what a ridiculous, what a ridiculous thing. But that means in the, like, 10,000 Enterprises that show up in the, that episode, one of them is Tom Riker yes. at the helm. <laughs> fuck! Fuck! Why didn't they do that? God damn it! <laughs> oh, TNG's such a good show. Yeah. I know we've talked for ages about this episode, but it's that good. It's good. This is us just enjoying the good Star Trek.
This month we are doing Imzadi for our book, uh, written by Peter David and released in 1st of August 1992. This book deals with Riker and Troy's relationship and time nonsense. I was going to like give the hook, like the, 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 you know, the hook of the book. I can read the blurb if you want. I've got the blurb here on Memory Alpha. I'm going to do that. Yeah, okay. And I think it, I think that sets up things. We should make that a thing. Years before they served together on board the USS Enterprise D, Commander William T. Riker and the ship's counselor Deanna Troy had a tempestuous love affair on her home planet of Beta Z. Now their passions have cooled and they serve together as friends. Yet the memories of that time linger and Riker and Troy remain Imzadi, a powerful Betazoid term that describes the enduring bond they still share. During delicate negotiations with an aggressive race called the Sindarine, uh, Deanna Troy mysteriously falls ill and dies. But her death is only the beginning of an adventure for Commander Riker. <laughs> an adventure that will take him across time, pit him against one of his closest friends, yep, and force him to choose between Starfleet's strictest rule and the one he calls Imzadi. Oh, the Temporal Prime Directive. Starfleet's strictest rule. <laughs> Starfleet's strictest rule. The Time Prime Directive. Oh, um, what nonsense. I also so, want to describe the cover briefly. Okay, go ahead. Because it's every Star Trek book we're ever going to read. So, <laughs> no, all Star Trek books have the same format, apparently, in this era, which is three heads and then a background of some description. Uh, and the background's just... Uh, it's a picture of the... Uh, the Guardian of Forever from the episode Sailing the Edge of Forever at the top, and then just space background. And then at the front, we have uh, Troy in her old Troy uniform. Uh, uh, the one she wears for the majority of the show, the purple outfit. Yes. Uh, and, you know, standing there. And then on either side of her, looking like their heads are sprouting out of her shoulders, <laughs> there is young baby Riker looking like young baby Riker. And... Uh, old Admiral Riker, who looks pretty much like he does in All Good Things. It's ridiculous! But also, that cover was drawn before All Good Things was yep. a real thing. It really was! Yeah. <laughs> this book's a lot. So, uh, in the summary, um, you said the, there is the line about her death is only the beginning of the adventure for Commander Riker, which is maybe the truest statement you could make about this book damning it in its own words. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole the book actually begins with a foreword to George, uh, Gene Roddenberry. George Roddenberry? Fucking hell, Jackson. I'm tired. <laughs> the book actually begins with a foreword to Gene Roddenberry where Peter David is like, I pitched this to him and it was the last one he like personally agreed. A book exploring the relationship uh, of Troy and, and Will Riker and I'm going to bring that to you now and I hope he would enjoy it and here's what it is. And then like a few pages, uh, like a hundred pages in, she's dead. <laughs> And the entire book is about the the time spanning conflict that comes with that. It's nonsense. So let's get into the actual summary, which uh, I will help with. Uh, the book opens with Commodore Data, captain of the Enterprise F, on the world of, or I guess they call it Forever World, but on the world where the Guardian of Forever, he is watching the ending of City on the Edge of Forever because Data has nothing better to do than watch old Star Trek episodes, I guess. It's not. And good. then he is reflecting on that incident with Edith Keeler that we covered in episode one of this podcast. Yes, episode one. Uh, 
and with Mary Mack, who is the scientist in charge of Forever World. She is an Orion woman, and the book immediately takes a turn into Skeesville by going out of its way to describe how Mary Mack, as an Orion woman, is like actually super hot, but has to try very hard to not look hot so men will take her seriously as the book is fucking oogling her for days. It is fucking the fucking worst, Jackson. It's like the... Six paragraphs in, this this segment begins. It's the first major section of the book. Let me let me get my notes because I've highlighted a lot of things. Oh, also early on, um, Data s- says an incredibly stupid thing that's not true, where his programming makes it impossible for him to violate Starfleet regulations, which is important for the end of the book. But please remember it. It's not a thing Data has ever done in his entire life, but it has to be true for this book for reasons that will be revealed at the end. It's not good. Anyway, uh, here is a thing about Mary Mack. Mary Mack was extremely peculiar. For one thing, she was an Orion. This in itself was not particularly unusual. She was, however, fully clothed. This was unusual, as the vast majority of Orion women existed purely to be the sex toys of men in general, and Orion men in particular. They were known as vicious and deadly fighters and radiated sex the way suns radiated heat. And indeed, some thought a bit more intensely. Oh, it's the best part about this is that so you read that and you're like, well, that was dumb. Is this going to stop now? No, you turn the page and it's like, she will lose fit. No, no, no. So <laughs> I, I highlighted a one paragraph, two, three, four, five, six, <laughs> seven, eight, eight paragraphs of further description about Mary Mac being super hot, but trying to look frumpy. So she wears glasses, which are horribly out of style. Yeah. We're just going to do a couple. We're just going to trade off and give you a couple here, which uh, she wore loose fitting clothes, deliberately loosed. So as to do nothing that could potentially emphasize the formidable curves of her body. (laughs) Yep. Like what the fuck? Most incredibly, she wore glasses. They had a slight tint and huge frames. Nobody wore glasses. They were considered to be phenomenally out of date as well as unattractive, which is why she wore them. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. I hate it. I hate everything that is happening right here. It hurts. It hurts Uh, me. Okay, so so, uh, her look had gotten her quite far. It had, in fact, been something of a plus. People would be interested and amused by her as she would discuss some involved or arcane bit of scientific lore. Interested because usually they'd never heard an Orion woman put together a sentence of more than five or so words, and amused because they'd smugly be waiting for her to revert to type at any moment. She never did, of course. (sighs) (laughs) It is the worst. It's so much. It's a lot. So... So anyway, they're talking. Ends of like, yeah, so they're talking about the guardian, and they're like, uh, like Mary Max, like, oh, we we've had we've made very inst- interesting observations, and her and Data have a conversation about it. And the thing with the guardian is that they put this giant super fuck off shield around it, so no one can like get in, mess with the time stream. Uh, but they have to lower it to talk to the guardian, which they do like under observation, uh, because he w- the guardian it won't talk through the um through the shield uh but they need to talk to it to like you know get it to show stuff and uh figure out what it's about so they're using it to like talk about the nature of time and universes and mary mac floats the idea of alternate universes over dinner she's like oh we've noticed like there's deviations in the timeline at these focal points which are strange and might lead to parallel universes and data's like oh that reminds me of this time me and tasha yar fucked and then she died and then another universe she was alive and then she went back in time and became the mother of like a romulan lady 
uh, <laughs> just casually, like Data does. You know, he has no shame about the time him and Tashi are fucked while they were he's space drunk. He's fully functional. He's fully functional. <laughs> it's bad. Uh, meanwhile, in that universe, Admiral William T. Riker is in charge of Starbase 86. And the book goes out of its way to point out that 86 is the police code for, like, death. is like, Ben 86 And that's just a thing that's continued into Star Trek. And he is at this run-down, dead-end Starbase. His career a-shambles, him a-shambles, with this, like, super flighty, overly concerned, passive-aggressive lieutenant that's like, blah, 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 you need to take care of yourself, uh, Admiral. And uh, he gets a call that he's been summoned to Beta Z because she wants to talk to him. She, in this instance, being Loxana Troy, who is dying and needs to see Riker at her last breath. So Starfleet sends a ship commanded by Captain Wesley Crusher, who, because this book was because this book was written in '93, just continued being in Starfleet, became a captain. It is described that he has a Van Dyke beard and is going gray at the temples. He is divorced and has children. He is basically Will Wheaton in 2017, but as a Starfleet captain, and I've never hated Star Trek more than in the moment of realizing that. He is twice married, thrice childed. <laughs> it's hell. It's so bad. I, I'm so glad they end TNG by like putting Riker down, a, uh, not Riker, by putting Crusher down a different like route for where he could go with the traveler yep. stuff. Because the idea of him just becoming just oh, I'm just a captain now is de- it's so deeply depressing, and I don't even know why. Uh, like I think it's part of it is because Will Wheaton, right? Like that has yeah, to be part of it. At least for me, it's it. because Will Wheaton, but uh. Also, like, Wesley Crusher, like, Riker being kind of, like, a dead-end sad sack because Deanna Troy died, like, 30 years ago is, like, one thing, and it's kind of a bummer. The fact that, like, Star Trek happened, and then Wesley's just kind of, like, a bad dad captain, mm-hmm. because he was, like, like whether or not you like Wesley Crusher in the show, the show was very firm that he is, like, the best and brightest of humanity as a child and was destined for great things. Those great things happened to be, like, yelling at Picard about, like, trying to transplant space natives. But (laughs) before that, he was supposed to be the best and brightest. And this book just, like, kind of shits on all that by making him, like, not just a Starfleet captain, but kind of a shitty Starfleet captain. I mean, like, we don't know that. I guess. Like, he totally could be on his own Star Trek show every week and having adventures, but seeing that from the outside, you're like, all right, this is just a guy who drives a big bus. Like, but like, (laughs) like, so Starfleet captains are like inherently, like, there's a big problem in that, like, they're always going to planets and they don't stay and they can't form connections very easily. And that's why, like, Kirk has, like, the womanizing reputation. But it's also why Picard is, like, he has some romantic entanglements, but never settled down and started a family. And like, that's an important part of his character because he knows that he can't be that person because he's a Starfleet captain first and foremost. And so he won't like try to go into that knowing he can't do it with both feet. And the idea that Wesley Crusher grew up to just be a dude who didn't make that conscientious choice that Picard did, like really speaks ill of Wesley's personality in this book as a person. Like, he grew up with Picard's example and learned nothing is, like, super weird to me. Like, that is true, but also, 
from the other perspective, as someone who grew up in school and everyone's like, oh, you're so clever. You're going to be a lot one day. And you grow up and you're like, fuck off. Thanks for telling me that. I'm not actually. It's <laughs> Which is, but to be fair, that's basically what happened in the way the show is writ, where he like quit Starfleet and then went off to space travel and saved all those natives. I guess he, act- I don't know if he, I, th- I feel like he didn't actually save them. <laughs> I don't remember the specifics. All I know is he would just exited this mortal realm. <laughs> yep. Uh, but no, like, yes, the show does that because it's the right choice because you can't actually have him just become a Star Trek captain and then the barest minimum of subversion is he's also shit. Like, that's such a bad... Oh, I don't like this book at all. We'll get to more reasons why later, but here's one of them. So they go to Beta Z and they're all sad and they beam down and they head towards Luxana's house because Riker's like... If I delay long enough, maybe she'll be dead by the time I get there. Well, no, Riker's in a really dark place. They do that, but they also get a little bit of like the 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 book loves its fucking uh, backwards exposition bullshit. Like he lands on Beta Z, and the bulk of the book is prequel stuff in Beta Z. So you have to have like ten pages of ah, that's a character who's going to show up later who you don't know yet. Well, yeah, no, I was going to get to that. You stepped on my segues. Here, I thought Jackson. you were. Okay, sorry. So they land on the planet as they're walking to the uh, the Troy mansion. They run into an old flame of Rikers named Wendy Roper, and he's like, "Oh, I couldn't believe I can't believe I saw you here." And she's like, "I looked you up. I knew you were coming." And <laughs> she's been here forever, and they knew each other from before. And she's like, "I'm married now, and my dad died ten years ago, and I've just been on this planet forever." And remember that because she'll be kind of a character that we might talk about. Probably not that much. No, to be honest. Much. Anyway, they get to the Troy mansion, and Mr. Hall answers the door and leads them up to the bed where Loxana is lying on her deathbed and as they approach the door the breathing stops and then Riker immediately starts beating himself up for delaying hoping that she would die because he delayed hoping she would die (laughs) but this Riker hates himself and everything so whatever happens he's going to be sad and angry at himself about it Uh, and then he opens the door and he's like oh I have to at least look at her body I can't be this much of a coward and then with the last of her breath she reaches up and grabs Riker by the throat and screams at him that it's his fault that Deanna died and then she dies <laughs> which to be fair totally a Loxana thing to do yeah that's what is, is like that happens but the way the book is written the way this paragraph like makes it sound is that she is dead and then returns to life briefly to grab Riker's throat and scream unending for about uh, 30 seconds and then immediately fall down again <laughs> No, it's great it's it's so much so the funeral happens uh crusher stayed around because crusher just wants to help his sad dad friend uh and Riker has been in uh loxana's will Riker has been designated the like executor of her estate so he has to go through all of her shit and catalog it and crusher's like you don't have to do that no one would expect that of you and he's like no i have to this is her punishment i have to do this penance for what i've done to her daughter and And so they're standing in the mausoleum where like her body is and then they go into the other chamber and there's deanna's body and Riker is like oh she's so vibrant she looks exactly like she did i wish i could take her out but it's been too long so my dude (laughs) she is crusher comes in and they're talking about their memories of deanna and then i would like to read this bit that i have here okay um so oh so to set up uh riker they're looking at the body and riker turns to crusher and is like you had a crush on her didn't you and crusher is like that is that is that obvious and riker's like of course you were 16 come on (laughs) you wore a onesie everyone could see your boner from space (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> Crusher let out a slow breath as if a great weight had been lifted off him. She was the most exotic woman I'd ever seen, and you didn't have to pretend with her. No games, no posturing. She just accepted you as you were. All us guys had a thing for her, really. We'd sit around and... And then Crusher flushed slightly and cleared his throat. Before he could continue, Riker said, I wonder what it would be like to... Yeah, admitted Crusher. Then, sounding slightly and amusingly defensive, considering his age and the years that had passed, he added, we were just kids. Fucking Wesley and a bunch of other kids sitting around talking about how much they wanted to fuck Counselor Troy is the last thing I needed from anything Star Trek ever <laughs> in the history of all of these things that are going to read. It's the worst. I'm so upset. It's not good. It, it, it's also amazing because like, she just accepted you as you were and we were all horny. Like, fuck off. <laughs> oh. And this comes like about a page after uh, a passage where it goes into how like... Oh, she is dead, but the only gift that her death gave her was the fact that her body didn't have to get less hot. <laughs> so, so they're having this conversation, and then Crusher's like, how did she die? And Wesley's like, did your mom never tell you? Or Riker's like, did your mom never tell you? And he's like, no, I was away at the academy, and she never really wanted to talk about it. And then... It's like during the monsoon season in Beta Zoe and Beta Z, so it's like raining. Riker goes to the like door of the mausoleum and is standing in the torrential downpour, hitting his face. Uh, oh, let me just read the passage. Actually, yeah. I have it highlighted. Yeah. Riker shook his head. Then he walked toward the door and stepped just outside, allowing the rain to spatter on his face. The thunder cracked once more, and over its sound, Riker called out, "I have no answers for you, Wesley. None. But if you want to know what happened, I'll tell you. You're entitled to that." God knows we all are. And then brothers and arms. Which is the end of the first segment. (laughs) God. God! This book's terrible, by the way. (laughs) This book's fucking terrible and I hate it. And we haven't even got to the stuff I hate yet. (laughs) So, uh, we open on the middle of Star Trek, probably like season four, I would guess. I don't know exactly. I think there's a specific time, but we don't really concern ourselves with star dates and years here. So, whatever. Uh... So we're on the ship and there's a there's peace talks between the Cinderines and a bunch of other races. Um, and they're like uh, there's like this. They're trying to discuss like the like whether or not the Cinderine are going to surrender unconditionally or whether they're going to like get Federation support or whatever because they're losing. Anyway, uh, they're here on the ship and Counselor Troy is going to help do this, even though she doesn't, she can't read the Cinderine easily because they're like snake people and she needs time to break through their mental defenses. And it's intimated that, oh, she has some prior experience with the Cinderine, which will come up in the book. Anyway, uh, Riker goes to talk to Troy and goes into her, uh, goes to her apartment and she's busy having sex with one of the people in like, they're called the Lust. I don't know. They're just one of the other aliens uh, in their delegation. Um, his name is Don, D-A-N-N, because Dan is too normal for Star Trek. Uh, and Riker's like, oh, I, I, I'm sorry. I shouldn't and I shouldn't have intruded. And Deanna basically like points to the door and is like, get out. I'm busy. Uh, <laughs> and so he goes he goes to nurse his like wounded ego and pride at 10 forward. Uh, where Guinan opens, like, Guinan goes to him because he's a sad sack, and Guinan is like, oh, what? You know what? I'm going to read it, because it's really bad. Because the things it implies about the potential of things happening in Star Trek bothers me a lot. Uh, so, Guy Guinan 
Guinan basically asks what's wrong, and Riker's like, oh, I was an idiot with her. And Guinan knows who he's talking about because, you know, there's only one person he's going to be talking about. Anyway, this is Guinan speaking. I see, and were your actions unforgivable? Did you hit her? Riker looks shocked. Of course not. Rough her up a little? No. Call her obscene names? Of course not, Guinan. I'd never do that, and she'd never tolerate it. How about beating up one of her friends? Would she tolerate that? <laughs> no, she wouldn't. Well then, said Guinan, how do you think she'd react to your beating up on yourself? <laughs> And then she, like, put on some sunglasses and walked away. <laughs> she, like, moonwalked off set. <laughs> <laughs> so, one, Guinan opening a question about Riker's well-being, asking if he beat up Deanna Troy, is the worst thing I've ever heard. And I just said there was a worst <laughs> thing five minutes ago, but this is the worst thing. There's a new worst thing. I think the, I think the Wesley thing's worse, but it's still pretty fucking bad. It's really bad. Also, using that, like questioning whether or not he was like abusive towards Deanna as a segue to being like, well, why are you beating up on yourself? Is like, like the most, that's the I am Peter David. I do not understand how human <laughs> psychology works, but yeah. let me write out a thing that sounds right, but is like a lizard person thing. And I don't mean the Cinderine. I mean a lizard person from the moon. <laughs> yeah. So she's like giving this explanation and it's like almost played as if she's... I can't tell if it's intended that she's actually asking that or if she's saying ridiculous things to, like, make Riker put... She's saying ridiculous things, but it's still bad. It's extra bad because that's not the things she would do. And then it, like, transforms into this, uh, like, lesson for Riker through the the power of writing dialogue and it's hell on Earth and space. I fucking hate it. And um, what's especially amazing about it is this... Like, you watch Second Chances or something, or any episode, and because t- TNG is basically a show about people who have irreconcilable problems having to talk enough about them to come to a solution, and that's not, that's what? How would you watch enough TNG that you're, like, able to write a book about Star Trek and not understand that earnestly talking about your feelings and problems is the defining trait of the show and why it's good? Yep. Uh... So, anyway, that happens. Uh, Riker and Troy come to, like, this, like, understanding. They talk about their feelings. Uh, You almost think things are going to be fine after all the bullshit. And then, like, Riker's like, oh, I'm happy for you. You know, go off and Dan. I'm not going to be jealous. Um, And then he's, like, lying in bed. And he has this moment where he's, he's, like, thinking about Deanna and thinking about this time where they almost hooked up a while back. And then he sits up and he's like, there's someone else in the room. And he turns on the lights and there's no one there. And he's like, hmm, that's strange. And then he goes back to sleep and then he hears Deanna call in Zadi. And he rushes to her place and then she's on the ground convulsing in her room. And Dan's sitting there and like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to call anybody. I don't know what's going on. And then he calls Crusher and races her to sick bay. But by the time Crusher gets to them both, she has died. And then it cuts to Loxana sitting up in bed screaming. And she did not stop screaming for two hours. She was never the same after that, which is the end of this segment. <laughs> Screamed for two straight hours. All Luxwana does in the first two segments of the book is a bad thing happens and then she screams. She mourns and dies. That's all women can do in these books, mourn and die. <laughs> no, that's not true. There's a third thing and it's control. Oh, right. People. They can fuck. I forgot. No. Okay. Yes. They can fuck and they can act controlling towards other women. <laughs> yep. There's that. Those are the things. So we cut back to Beta Z, Admiral Riker telling this while they sit around <laughs> Deanna's coffin, I guess. Yep. I don't know. It's kind of a bad story to be telling in a mausoleum. But the rain stopped and they go back to the tr- house and 
Crusher's like, are you really going to look through all this stuff? And Riker's like, yeah, I need to, for my own sake, for Loxana's sake, for Deanna's sake, blah, blah, blah. Riker, or Crusher's like, well, okay, good job. Bye. <laughs> Crusher out. I'm going home. And beams out. And he has and, never mentioned uh, the book again. He's gone, by the way. He doesn't have like, yeah, a so plot Riker, coming back later. Yeah, Riker finds, like, the fucking Holy Rings of Beta Zed in a closet. He's like, what are these doing here? That's strange. Anyway, he's in Deanna's room, and he finds, like, the Star Trek equivalent of a shoebox. I'm sure it has, like, hollow sides where it looks ridiculous and silvery. Um, and opens it up, and inside is a bunch of pe- things we don't recognize but are clearly going to show up in the rest <laughs> of the book. <laughs> there's yeah. a headband. There's a rock with blood on it. There's a poem written on some paper, which is weird because... Honestly, outside of Picard's books, I don't think I've ever seen paper in Star Trek. <laughs> pads. Yeah, pads. P-A-D-D, pad. Yeah. Anyway, he's looking at these things. He's overcome with emotions. He breaks down crying. For the first time, he can show a human emotion. And then we cut to the beginning. Yeah. Yes, I think it's important to say that every single one of these segments has had like a title. So the first chapter, it says the end. And then when it cuts to Riker on the Starbase, it's like the beginning of the end. No, no, yeah, the, the, the end of the beginning is the Riker on in Star Trek Cinderine peace talk stuff. Yes. And then the bit with Crusher leaving and Riker looking at that box is called epilogue. And then the part that we're about to get to, which is young Riker, is the beginning. I'm banning writers. <laughs> I'm just, no more writers. Sorry. So the setup is Riker, Lieutenant William Riker is on the Fortuna. He is leaving to become the first officer of the hood, which is the ship, by the way, that Wesley is commanding in the future present tense, I guess, of this book. Um, Anyway, he's going to be promoted, but the hood is in for repairs uh, because they were attacked by Cinderine Raiders. And so he has to like, cool his heels on as they say which is like a very militaristic term but cool his heels on beta z for a couple months while it gets fixed he's going to be like the attache to the federation embassy and he doesn't like it because he doesn't want to be planet side he doesn't want to be on beta z that's a place with feelings and he's a starfleet officer he's about action and getting shit done um anyway he arrives on beta z he goes to the embassy and we meet the actual only good character in eh, you know what wendy's all right too but the one of the only good characters in this book mark roper the Starfleet liaison on Beta Z. He is just like a middle age, like balding, like portly guy. He is just fucking working class politician. He is the best. <laughs> He's so good. He comes in, like Riker comes in, and Mark Roper is like yelling at his secretary about like six scheduling conflicts and like R- when uh, Riker walks in the door he's like oh do we have an appointment and Riker's like Does, was nobody expecting me he's like oh you're Will Riker right 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 okay and then he just calls him captain as like a term of endearment because he's like oh you're gonna be captain soon you're clearly ambitious in a way I'm not but could you go fill in for this wedding uh that I need to go to and I don't want to go to take my daughter Wendy and Wendy's comes in and she is like flirty and young and vivacious and Riker is like Va va voom, horny immediately. Let's go do this. Let's go to this wedding. That's not. Hang on. I need to. I have this. The the, the exact. Okay, you quote. have this. Please present uh, this. Hang on. Uh. <laughs> Yes. Okay. She walks in and we are described to her with one of the worst sentences I've ever read, which isn't intended to be as bad as it is, but in 2017, it caused me to die. And that sentence is... A young, cheery-eyed woman with straight black hair and a bit of the devil in her eye flounced into the office. Hello, daddy. (laughs) 
it's not meant like that. I never read it like that. It's that not, is it's that not is read you like that. I'm poisoned saying, by internet horny. I'm, 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 that's my, what I said, but I still have to read the sentence. <laughs> it, it never occurred to me because you need to log off. That's what the actual <laughs> truth is. <laughs> I mean, I do need to log off. I'm not going to deny this. Anyway, there's, like, a scene where they're, like, picking dresses or whatever. And, like, she asks her dad, what dress should I wear? And he's like, what do I care? Like, what does it matter? And Riker's like, oh, that's a weird reaction to have to your daughter. You want her to look nice for this wedding, right? And anyway, they go to the wedding, and he's like, oh, she's hot. I'm glad we're going to this wedding. She looks great in this dress. And then they get there, and it's a Betazide wedding. So right outside, everyone starts stripping off, and Riker is paralyzed by fear because he's not been confronted with actual humans just being naked ever before even though he's like a total fuck machine riker and the, every, all the betazoids are like oh we're very understanding we're sorry mark didn't tell you maybe he thought it was a joke you don't have to be undressed you can just go in no one will think less of you and then mark's uh, clearly back in his office just like <laughs> but also riker is like if i'm not naked everyone will think less of me because i have to expose my virile manhood to everyone uh, and then he does strip and then Wendy Roper is like, oh, you had nothing to be ashamed of because yes, he exposes virile manhood to everybody. <laughs> it's, th- th- I hate this segment. It's, it's not as like, it's not the central plot of the book and it's clearly like a comedy bit, but everything about this book's gender politics is obviously fucking awful. Uh, and this whole segment of the, the wedding is just extended jokes about like oh Riker was nervous because he just is scared he's like terrified of humans and nakedness even though he's you know fucked every woman on every starship ever because he's actually he can't be he can't actually be bad at being a man he has to be the manliest man so as soon as he does anything it's revealed he is the manliest man huge dick white Riker which I don't want anyone's dick described in Star Trek that's a rule just never I never (laughs) want that to happen (laughs) the, the 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 moment where like Riker is like uh, like whatever anxiety about this is burst is actually like a good moment I feel like where he's sitting there clearly super awkward uh, in this room full of naked people and then like the father of the bride or like the father of is it the father uh, no the like mother of the groom walks in and looks at him like hairy ass 80s Riker in this room full of Betazoid men is like why are humans so hairy and he's like totally like like he's clearly like not thinking and just says the first thing that pops in his head and his answer is traction (laughs) and the old woman looks at him and then laughs and every like it's just a moment of like diffusing this tense situation that is like really honest and good and in the middle of all this bullshit i cannot believe there's like a good moment here (laughs) it's this that's that's the bad star trek way though yeah, it's the most honest Star Trek thing is to have this just insufferable, awful thing. Which oh, you're like, oh, here's a decent character moment out of nowhere. Yep, uh, it is immediately thrown in the garbage as the wedding happens, and then Riker sees the maid of honor who is Deanna Troy, and he sees her, and he's instantly smitten. He's like, oh, she's hotter than everyone else, and she looks good naked. But it's not even about that. There's something special about oh, her. Oh yeah, no, she's it's not, great. Is it? It's not about that, is it, Will? <laughs> and then he's like looking at her while she's standing there up in the be- in the wedding party, and he's like, oh, look at that ass. It's real good. And then he's like. Oh, look at look at her curves. Look at her smile. And he's like, wait, her smile? I was looking at her ass. How could this be? And that's because she's looking at him because he's on Beta Z. It's it's a lot. And they're like, we're going to get into stuff where he's like, oh, now I have to decide if love at first sight is real. Because apparently he's never been horny before. Like, he just sees this woman and... It, 
it doesn't even because pres- throughout the book no interiority or agency is really given to troy that much so we literally just have the entire foundation of their relationship at this stage is he sees a naked person who is so much hotter than all the other naked people here and it like it feels like a spiritual experience to him so i mean the 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 pr- problem i don't know the problem is like the book the the show has made it very clear that like if there is such a thing as soulmates will Riker and deanna troy are it like whether that means they're like in a relationship or not they're totally like just tied together forever that has to be that's the way their like emotional states and minds work the book just assumes that you are willing to believe that without any setup so the minute Riker goes nuts and like is like oh deanna there's something special about her of course he is because it has to be that way, but also the book doesn't give you any reason for that other than clearly he's thinking with his dick and it's the worst. Well, yeah. It's not it's not that the facts are wrong, but the context is terrible, which is basically my feeling about a lot of this book. It's we'll get into it as it goes, but like what it takes is the Star Trek the, the thing, the fact of Star Trek, right? That Deanna Troy and Will Riker are meant to be together or slash aren't, but like they they are a pair and will be forever, you know. So instead of building up to why, it just takes that as writ, and as soon as they come into contact with each other in the most dumb way possible, says expects you to be rooting for that connection. So yep. the fact that I care about Star Trek means that I should care about this succeeding, means that I should relate to Will Riker in this situation. But if you step back even half an inch, you're like, this is not, no, no, uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. so... <laughs> So what happens is fucking 10 chapters, basically. Nothing! Will Riker... So, uh, like, I'll just lay out the events and you can interrupt when something happens. Okay. But Will Riker's like, oh, who's that lady? And Mark Roper's like, oh, that's Deanna. Uh, she, she's a psychology <laughs> student. For, you can go... I am going to interrupt for Roper. He totally goes back to Roper and Roper's like, <laughs> yeah, they're naked, yeah. Oh, I've got to have my fun somehow. Anyway, how's it going? Yep. <laughs> Uh, oh, one of the, th- like, because Roper's been on Beta Z forever, and it's a thing when Wendy has that makes her very, like, I'm just gonna come on to Riker because he's hot, and I don't care, is Mark's like, oh, did you sleep on my daughter? And Riker's aghast, clutching his pearls, like, how could you ask that? He's like, I don't care what my daughter does, I just want to know because it makes things easier for everyone to know where we stand. I don't care if you, you sleep with my daughter. I don't care if Deanna Troy sleeps with my daughter. I'd be surprised, whatever. And... But, like, because, you know, my daughter's hella straight because she sleeps with guys like you. But, um, <laughs> um, the, like, weird offhanded references to, like, just queer relationships exist in Star Trek is appreciated, in, especially in, like, 93. Because the show doesn't touch it. There's, like, fucking no gay people in all of Star Trek. Nope. And especially from, like, the perspective of, like, this kind of not giving a shit about the aspirations of Star Trek, just working class guy getting by, able to build, buy into progressive ideas just as a throwaway thing. Like, it doesn't build... It, it's one of the weird moments in this book where it just has that happen and it doesn't actually feel forced. Yep. So, anyway, Riker, go- yeah. Riker goes to the university to run into Deanna, and Deanna's like, I'm not interested in you. You're Will Riker. And he's like, how did you know I was Will Riker? And she's like, I asked around. He's like, why did you ask around? It's like, because you were boring holes into me in the wedding. And he's like, what if we go out? And she's like, I'm not interested. And he's very persistent, and it's like supposed to be a dumb fucking meet cute, but he just fucking nice guys himself forever. And then she finally relents and is like, I'll go on a date, but only if you pick me up from my house. And he's like, that's great. And she's like, great, you'll get along well with my mother. 
And so he goes and picks her up and he meets Loxana and Loxana is Loxana, but like more so because she's like super aggressive and protective of her daughter because her daughter is going to be basically be Loxana when she grows up because Deanna has no aspirations to go to Starfleet or anything yet. Uh, because that book makes the this book makes that a thing that Riker instills in her as like an idea she may want to do because of course it does anyway <sighs> they go on dates and they don't go well because Riker's just like let's fuck and Deanna's like no it's not about that like even if I like he's like don't you want to I can I feel like you're giving on vibes that you want to he's like even if I wanted to uh I I'm not gonna do that that's not what people do I'm an adult like I need more of a connection like just getting horny is not a good reason to fuck anybody and Riker does not comprehend that they did not teach that at the academy <laughs> Riker's like actually I think I find it's the best reason to fuck someone <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that goes on for fucking ever, even like, and like Riker's like dealing with, like, there's like a security force on the planet and there's this guy called Sergeant Tang and Sergeant Tang's like, don't get involved with local girls, sir. They're all about the feelings. You're not going to like it. You're a Starfleet man. Just like hang out with Wendy Roper. She's nice. She clearly is into you. Just say yes and be with that and then go onto the hood when it's necessary and don't don't do this and he's like thanks sir thanks sergeant but you're just a sergeant i'm a lieutenant i think i know what i'm doing and then tang's like uh, yeah all right sure yep uh and so troy's like look if we're gonna make this work or if we're gonna even like talk about this we need to like get you in a headspace so you can understand where i'm coming from so let's go to the museum and like appreciate some art and Riker is like incapable of appreciating art or music because all he's about is horny and it, Starfleet. That's all he cares it's about. It's amazing. Like the scene is like <laughs> he is seen. He goes to look at a piece of art, and then Troy's like, "So what did this make you feel?" And he's like, "Well, I don't know. It makes me feel like I'm looking at a piece of art." <laughs> and she's like, "No, what is it saying?" And he's like, "It's nothing. It's goopy art." And she's like. "Like what? Do you, do you not have paintings on Earth?" And he's like, "Yeah, but they're usually about stuff." And he. Riker. Riker's like, Riker. it doesn't count if you can't put it in the wiki. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> it's uh, not canon. This and so, not canon. We should fuck. And so Troy's like, okay, you clearly don't respond to anything but fucking brute shows of, like, dominance and force. So let's just do it this way. So she takes him up to a tree and, like, they climb the tree and she's like, okay, I want you to hang from the tree as long as possible. And so they both do this and Riker's like, I'm stronger than you. I could do this forever because I'm a man and you are a woman. That's just how things are. And she's like, no, 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 it's not about that, you idiot. It's about mind over matter, because it doesn't matter how strong you are. It's about how good your mind is. And my mind is fucking on point. And so she hangs there forever, and Riker tries to, but he's too busy thinking about fucking, and his arms go numb, and he falls off the tree. And then Deanna's, like, on the tree, and she just hangs there for, like, another 20 minutes as Riker stares up at her dumbly. And she gets up, and she's like, oh, I'm very good at this. And she goes to walk off the tree, and she, like, slips and falls, and Riker catches her. And they have this moment. And then... Uh, Riker's, and then Deanna's like, please put me down. Riker's like, didn't you want me to catch you? And she's like, no, I slipped. There's a piece of bark. And Riker's like, no, I think you wanted it. I think you fell like a Freudian slip, literally, because you just wanted to be in my arms. And she's like, no, I think if you look around, there will be bark. And so she leaves in a huff, and Riker looks around for fucking half an hour, and is like, there was no bark. Which she clearly so wants I'm, I'm, I'm cutting in here because I want to talk about this fucking stuff. Because uh, <laughs> so what you the scene you are describing is. It's we are progressing through this plot as at the pace of like how the plot exists in our minds, but the actual book, by far, this single plot, this back and forth, is takes up more space than any of the other plots combined. Like I think that's crucial to know is the most of the book is this fucking back and forth, and so you have yes. uh, Riker who is nothing but just like the 
just most cliche, boring, base performance of masculinity. He has no other interest, no other ideas, no other like ways of relating to even a single thing unless it's like, oh, I am doing what I was taught in Starfleet school or I want to fuck it. That is it. That is it. It's only two rules. It's only two abilities to see the world. And so that's bad enough. But then Troy comes in and they're like, oh, fine. Another person's going to like, can going to like bash against this ideology and we're going to have a Star Trek discussion. And it is that, except Troy's just Yoda and she's like, oh, if you use your mind and you like do or do not, there is no try, you will be able to stand on the rock forever, on the tree forever. And it's just, I hate it. I hate it so much. Why is she Yoda? That's not what, what the, so, that's not what the telepathy is. I, I want to talk about this, but only after we're done with this beta Z section. Okay. So we're going to get, I have right. things to say. Yes. Okay. okay. So anyway, uh, so like after this, all of this whole thing, Riker or Troy is basically like ghost Riker and is like off doing whatever. And Riker's like, okay, I take the hint. I'm going to just kind of like read some philosophy or whatever <laughs> and try to understand the Betazoid people. And so he's taking this, like this, like uh, he's like reading this text and doing these example exercises about how you're supposed to deal with people. And he's getting them all wrong. Cause it's like, the problem is like Jane, like officer Jane has problems with her superior officer. She comes to you and is like, Oh, he's treating me unfairly. I do all this work and I don't get the credit, blah, blah, blah. What are you supposed to do? And Riker is failing all these questions. Cause he's like, Oh, well first you lay out a plan of action where you examine all your actions and you see if maybe you actually were doing the things that he said. And if not, maybe you should confront him about this stuff. And then he reads the solution and it's like, no, you're supposed to talk to Jane about a time this happened to you and support her decision, whatever it is. And he's like, that's bullshit. What is this garbage? <laughs> and doesn't understand it. Uh, and then um, eventually he I, like there's something that happens where he recognizes that Deanna once like was actually looking up on him or something. I don't remember how this happens because it's been a few. It's been like two weeks since I read this, mm-hmm. but he ends up deciding to go to the university to like take one last shot at Deanna, like talking to her. And he does that by doing the like thought projection projection thing. Cause he's like, Oh, she spoke to my mind in during that tree when, when she fell off the tree and it was weird. If we have a connection, maybe if I can send a thought to her, she'll know that we're like the real deal soulmates and not just some bullshit horny thing. So he sits there and like projects a thought into her mind of just like, you've been avoiding me, which is a, the creepiest that's thing not, to do and be like using their, their not, connection as like soulmates to like be vindictive is like the shittiest boy thing to do. It's, it, it, it's worse. It's not, you've been avoiding me. It's you're afraid of me. Oh, great. If that's true, maybe leave her the fuck alone. Well, no, because he's like, ah, oh. he sees it as like a hypocrisy of, of, of hers as like, she's been avoiding him and she's like lecturing him about how he doesn't take care of her feelings. But actually the truth is that she's avoiding her feelings and her feelings are clearly going to be resolved by this dick. Uh, is like the, and it like plays that, which is an awful logical uh, construction of a character as just true. It's just that's just the truth of this universe. I hate it. Yeah. So she like confronts him and is like, "Okay, you're like being an asshole." And he's like, but you want me. I know you want me. And she's like, look, it's not about like she explains all that stuff about it's not about that. I need a connection. 
let's just like do this experimental technique. And if this doesn't work, if this doesn't break through to you, like what we're actually about, then like, fuck you forever. We're done. And he's like, okay, I'll, I think I can succeed at this one shot because I'm a Starfleet officer succeeding at my last chance is exactly what we're trained to do. Let's do this. <laughs> so she takes him into like this secluded lake and she's like, take off your clothes. And he's like, oh, we're just going to fuck. And she's like, no, 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 it's not about that. So they both take off their clothes and they lay together naked. And he's like, what are, why are we doing this? She's like, we're going to talk. And if you can talk to me like a human being while we're doing this then maybe there's some worth in you and so he's like very confused and his boner is very hard for a while and eventually he brings up this 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 betazoid philosophy thing and this is the context of let me say the context of all of this is really awful like whatever all this stuff about their interaction so far has been trash the minute that Riker like ignores his boner and like is like okay I want to talk to you about this psychology thing I don't get it and they have like this explanation where he's like runs through the problem I presented and Deanna's like so I bet you just laid out an action plan he's like yeah of course I did why wouldn't I she's like the only thing you know how to do the only thing you've been trained to do is lay out action plans you don't know how to understand people like the thing you need to do is empathize with her because she has this problem and she wants you to understand her feelings and she wants your support more than she wants you to just like tell her solutions to her problems and Riker stops for a minute and like actually like chews on that for a second and it's the one interaction that feels true to who both those characters are and it's like the one moment the book is about something and I like that a lot. It suddenly crystallizes onto something more solid than just he's a boner and she's Yoda like yeah it becomes it becomes like so we'll, I want to talk about it once we're done on Beta Z okay. but one of the things I like about Beta Z is like it is a it is a planet like devoted to the understanding of emotional and mental states because they have to because otherwise they would have murdered each other eight, like like millennia ago mm-hmm. because they can just read each other's minds so they're very good at just like understanding themselves understanding others and being like empathic about that not like Deanna Troy's empathy but like real empathy um, <laughs> um. <laughs> I didn't mean that as the burn it was you know what I mean though yes no. uh, um and but because the, our society is the way that is. Uh, like everything the Betazoid is about is coded really feminine and Riker's like there's this problem I need to solve an action Starfleet has taught me how to do this I know how to do this we're just going to lay out some options and choose the thing is like very hard-coded masculine and the moment that this book reveals through like this philosophy discussion that like it knows it's about this like the ultra feminine versus the ultra masculine and how they work together is a the straightest thing and kind of garbage yep but also, I like the deconstruction of young Riker as like walking where the book recognizes that he's just a walking boner and that needs to be taken down because you can't just have a walking boner be a person. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's the one time Deanna is like the Deanna I recognize and like a lot. Uh, and it sucks that it happens in this one scene and then basically never again. But I do really like this one scene. Uh, one thing before we move on to actually continuing the plot of this book uh. I read this book really young and we should have prefaced this. I read this book when I was like 10 to 12 or whatever. Uh, and it was like one of my first Star Trek books and it informed a lot about how I think about Star Trek. Like there's a thing early on when him and Deanna have met and Riker's like, I want to beat Jim Kirk's record to be the youngest captain in Starfleet. And she's like, what if you ever found someone you would just like to serve under and don't want to be a captain? And it's like, Hmm, thinking emoji. But <laughs> the idea, the idea that Riker, like wanted to beat Jim Kirk's record was a thing I just thought was one of his character traits from the show. And I think it only exists in this book. Like we did some research and this is the only time it's ever brought up, but because I read this book when I was young, a lot of what this book is was like really ingrained in how I thought about the characters in the show and rereading it as an adult. It's really interesting, especially in the context of second chances. It's really interesting to see how often this book is like, just not about the characters I recognize, but also how a lot of it informed the way I thought about those characters I recognize. 
Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Don't read books when you're young. Is that, I mean, do it. Kids should read. But I feel like you fuck yourself up. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you do. Like, there's, you know, I have dumb readings of caring about bullshit in the Halo games because I read their extended universe Halo books when I was 11. Like, yep. it's, you latch onto things when you're provided... You you don't separate between the ideas of oh this is what this is and this is like the non-canon bit. It's all just important to you because you're a kid and you're reading about a thing that you care about. Yeah. Uh, which I don't know. I feel like you should just own that. Like it's everyone has their own journey through uh, coming to something. It's not a bad thing. Like the book sucks, but anyway, that's incidental. Anyway, they have this conversation. It's like an actual human conversation for once in this book. And then well, that they get up and Riker's like, or Dan is like, uh, or Riker's like, I'd like to see you again. And Dan's like, why? And Riker's like, well, for lots of reasons. And she's like, well, we've made more progress than I thought then. I'll be in touch. Uh, and it's like actually positive and like a human interaction, whatever. Anyway, uh, next day, Deanna's like at the museum with her friend who got married and they're just there. And then suddenly Cinderine Raiders show up and are like stealing art. But then, like, Starfleet surrounds the building with the security force led by Riker, and the Cinderines take hostages, and they take Deanna. And he's like, oh, we have to protect Deanna. And there's this moment where, like, the Cinderine are getting on the ship that's on the roof of the museum, and Deanna's with them, and they're like, we can shoot down the ship, or but we might hurt Deanna. And Riker's like, I make my choice. I'm going to fire on the ship, which is actually the right thing to do in this situation, I feel like. But, uh it's like this, like, oh, he's going to choose his career over her for the first time and for every time going forward, blah, 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 um, until she dies. And then he realizes what an idiot he was. Uh, <laughs> and the ship goes down in the jungle and then everyone died but Deanna and this pilot, the, the like leader of these Cinderine Raiders. And they're just in the jungle and he's being aggressive towards her and she's just being like totally like cool about it because she's Deanna Troy and she's actually like the coolest person about everything uh and he's just getting mad at her for like not being scared of him and she's like look you're gonna kill me you're not gonna kill me it doesn't matter uh i'm just gonna live my life the best way i know how and if you kill me then so be it it's out of my control it sucks but what are you gonna do and it makes him really mad and they get in a fight and she tries to escape and then Riker shows up and fights him and the cinderine jumps into quicksand and dies and he's like oh at least i wasn't captured and it's sucked a, in by the quicksand it's a really strange moment because it's basically played as like the Cinderine uh, triumphing over Riker's like pl bold plan to basically end the situation with no casualties alone, uh, and yep. he like bluffs. Oh, you're surrounded, and he bluffs good enough that the Cinderine hesitate hesitates, giving him a moment to dive in, like knock the gun out, and they have a fight. Uh, and so in the middle of this fight, the, he like starts on one of the mud pits, which is this incredibly fast acting quicksand, and basically uh, gives the um, you know. Uh, Willem, Willem Dafoe, Spider-Man, about to be hit by the Green Goblin's glider look and slides under there like, well, this is... Because <laughs> Riker says something stupid, I don't remember the line, but he's like, hold on! And the guy goes, well, to what? I'm dead! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to what? And then he sinks, and then Troy's like, he was happy dying in the quicksand. <laughs> Anyway, they have to, like, the reason Riker's alone is because they had to spread out because the, like, most of Betazoidi's jungle, aside from a few cities, so there was a lot of ground to cover. And they have, like, several days to walk to get back to the camp where all the reconnaissance is happening. Um, 
and they're walking and then suddenly it's like Troy, it's like Riker realized that Troy is like coming out of shock or going into shock, coming out of this trauma of being almost killed in these jungle for several days. And she's like shaking and afraid and he's like, oh, like, like, let's stop and let's collect ourselves. And then uh, Troy throws herself at Riker and is like, no, I was about to die and let's do this. Let's just live for the moment. And Riker's like, I don't think that's a good idea. And she's like, shut up and fuck me. And he's like, okay, sure. Uh, (laughs) And so they have sex, dirty sex in the jungle. And then as they're walking back for three days, they continue to stop and have sex like dozens of times. Because she's just fucking both feet into everything. Yes, uh, she can do nothing by half measure, and so they just fuck all the time, and they're all dirty and gross and in the jungle, and it doesn't matter, and she calls him Imzadi for the first time, and he's like, what does that mean? And she's like, it means beloved, but it's more complicated, it means the first, and Riker's like, oh, you mean I was your first? And she's like, yeah, you idiot, what was this whole thing about? And he's like, I don't think you, you didn't think I w- you were my first. She's like, no, I know, you're a fucking, like, man slut, but, <laughs> but... You're my first emotionally. And he's like, oh, you have a good point. I've never felt emotion before. Because this book is dumb. This anyway. Book is amazing. Because also, Riker... not only does like Riker have to be, like Troy and Riker have to be met together, uh, and it's all about emotional stuff, she actually has to 100% be like a, a true virgin who is conquered by his virilness. Like they can't avoid a single awful, you know, masculine, feminine cliche at all. It's just literally that. I hate it. Which is dumb because I feel like Deanna Troy, like most Star Trek characters, are mostly DTF all the time. Yeah. With the exception of probably Picard and Wesley, obviously. Well, and Wes- Jordy because Jordy's awkward in all sorts of ways. Uh, yeah, no, Wesley's Volcel. <laughs> oh, no, that's staying in, isn't it? Shit. Carry on. Go. <laughs> So anyway, they're walking back and then Riker has some paper because he is like, we use this to leave notes on trees if we need to, because we're like only like seven security guards covering an entire planet. And sometimes our operations a little like, you know, DIY. And he wrote a poem for her. And I have this poem. Would you like me to read the love poem William Riker wrote for Deanna like, Troy? Absolutely in the not, of because I hate it, but I think he should. I don't ever want to hear it, but I'm gonna. I hold you close to me. Feel the breath of you and the wonder of you and remember a time without you. But only as one would remember a bleak and distant nightmare. And you shudder against me in your sleep. Do you share the memory with me of dark times past? And you smile. Do you share the memory of times to come? The future holds such promise. And just as I cannot imagine how I survived the past without you, I cannot imagine a future without you. So that's a really bad poem, first of all. <laughs> like, ignoring the content. That's just, like, it's got no sense of flow, no real, like, through line. It's... Do you think they teach poetry in Starfleet, Jackson? Yes. <laughs> I don't think they do. I bet they do. Of course they do. Of course they do. Everyone hates it. There's always one person who really likes it. No, you know what? I So, the actual thing is, I bet everyone likes it because... Fucking the Enterprise is full of nerds. Like, there's a fucking Shakespearean company on the ship. <laughs> there is that. Yeah, there's a hundred percent. It has to be like a mandatory uh, Shakespeare, not Shakespeare, Starfleet art, art track. So the implication to me then is that everybody loves poetry and literature and plays and shit, except for Will Riker, who doesn't understand it because he can't fuck it or command it. Because in this in this book, Starfleet is very much a military organization. Yep. Oh my god. This poem is so bad. Like, it's embarrassing, but just hearing it read out is like, oh no. Oh no. 
Anyway, uh, they get back to the camp and everyone's very chill about them clearly being in love because they're Starfleet officers and they're very good at their jobs. And Deanna's like, come see my mother tonight. We will sort all this out. We can be together. It'll be great. And then Riker shows up at the house, then like cleaned up and uh, Loxana answers the door and is like, no, you can't see my daughter. Everything's fucked up. You weren't supposed to do this. She's listening to me now. She's not going to like be with you. You took advantage of the situation, which is true. And Riker's like, no, she wanted it, which is not a good thing to say to the mother of the person you fucked. Uh, and uh, it's all bad. And Deanna appears sad in the background. He's like, Deanna, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm sorry, Will. I have to listen to my mother. It's just the way of things. You don't understand. You're human. Go off and command a starship. Anyway, Riker goes off dejected and like gets a bunch of whiskey and gets fucking stinking ass drunk. And uh, Wendy Roper shows up and she's like, I've heard that things went really badly with you, Riker. And Riker's like, you're nice. You like to fuck. You want to fuck? And she's like, yes, I love it. He's like, what do you think about art? And she's like, I think it's boring. And he's like, good, come to bed. Uh, <laughs> And so that happens. And then Deanna has this huge fight with her mother where she's like, I'm going to do whatever I want. You are not in control of my life. I'll go join Starfleet and marry Will Riker, be the ship's cook if I want to. I don't care. I'll shave my head and dance on like an asteroid. You can't stop me. And she's like, if you leave out that door, never come back. And they have this big fight. And then she goes to meet Will and be like, I left my mother and we can be together and we can get married. And she walks in on him and Wendy just fucking like in bed, passed out. Riker is super drunk. And she's like yelling at him and he's like, please be quiet. She's like, are you embarrassed? Someone will hear. And Riker's like, no, no, I have a hangover. Please. (laughs) And she's like, I'm sorry. I will not inconvenience you any further. And she marches off and Wendy's very confused because Wendy didn't know any of this. Uh, Wendy was just like a nice girl who wanted to bounce in the bed with like the nice looking guy. Like, I feel like Wendy is poorly used by Riker and all this. Well, yeah, because like Wendy spends the whole book like, hey, was Riker around? I'm bored. I want to fuck him. And finally he's around, but in this like post weird breakup situation. And he's like, oh, I'm so sad. Oh, do you hate art? Good. Let's fuck. And so anyway... Deanna sad and goes back to her mom and her mom's there and she's like look it happens I did this exact same thing to my mother I remember doing this I didn't talk about it because I forgot about it until this point where it was relevant (laughs) but I once did this exact thing and she's and she's like uh you know, you can go off to Starfleet if you want. Please don't become a dancing girl. You'll catch a death of cold, but you can do whatever you want. I'm, I'm going to support you 100%. And she's like, you know, I, I still want to, like, do the best I can. I want to be your daughter. I want to marry Wyatt someday. We saw how well that went. And she's like, oh, don't don't think about that now. It could it could go as bad as my betrothal. And she's like, what happened to yours? And it's like, oh, he, he would left me for someone else. And she's like, oh, who was she? And she was like, no, it was another man. And it, my mother was mortified, but it, it was fine. They were best. We were best friends after that. And then I met your father and it was great. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, anyway, this they have of, this makeup. Th- this 180 oh. of Luxemana's character in this book is crazy. She, she is so much much more hyperbearing than she ever is in the show just like you will do exactly as i say i am the mean mother character and that is who i am and then she walks into the scene and instantly she's like oh no i'm understanding and actually i was exactly like you as a child and here's about 10 instances of why like every like everything in this book it represents a very dim understanding about how women are people yes because the book is written by peter david in 93 or 4 and he is the doodliest dude does not understand anything like this is an entire book of romance written from the perspective of the guy who just wants to fuck. And it's all in the context of, oh, she meant a lot to me and I didn't realize it until she was fucking dead. It's, And then, like, the actual uh, 
fulcrum point of how it really went down wasn't that at all it was i was fucking someone else and she walked in like that's actually how the oh it's it implies so much more about their relationship for like how it describes it and then the actual events are the most boring mundane bullshit anyway uh there's this moment where like anyway he's talking to roper the next day and roper's like hey the hood's done ahead of schedule you're actually shipping out in like the next day and not three weeks from now and he's like oh shit i need to at least try to talk to deanna one last time and they meet in the museum and deanna's like goodbye Riker. and Riker's like maybe someday we'll you know sort this out i don't know and they have this conversation where she's like look someday you're gonna like actually understand that people are like women are people and you're gonna get in a relationship and maybe you'll cool down a little and until then i want nothing to do with you and he's like well maybe someday you won't be a stick in the mud and you'll like enjoy fucking and maybe you'll <laughs> get off this planet and get out from under your mother's thumb and she's like we fucked in the jungle for five days do you think i not enjoy fucking that's not in the book but it might as well be uh, <laughs> anyway they have this like weird not goodbye where she's like talks to him and they look at this painting together and he sees the galaxies in it and finally for the first time he is moved by art and then he looks next to him and she's gone because she didn't want to actually say goodbye and then it cuts to them meeting in encounter at farpoint where he she steps off the turbo lift and he's totally taken aback because here she is she's in starfleet and they hadn't talked in forever even though that goes against everything that's in second chances but look second chances wasn't written yet and there's that moment where she speaks to him in her mind and calls him Mzadi, and then they're like what do we do did we pick up did we not pick up where we left off and they decide not to because time passed and they were different people and they like they love each other but maybe not in that way and years had the moment, the way of passing like they do when you're not paying attention. They took each other for granted. And then the Cinderine showed up. And what happened? Well, Counselor Troy is sleeping with Dan and Riker doesn't know how to feel about it. And he wakes up one night and he's like, hmm, there feels like there's someone in my room. Lights. And when he goes to say lights, a hand covers his mouth and turns off the lights. And he looks and it is his old self. It is Admiral William T. Riker. Dun, 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 dun. So, oh my God. this next section is called The Middle, because this book is dumb. This book isn't over, <laughs> by the way. There's still a whole act. Like, that stuff, the, the stuff on Beta Z could have just been the book. They didn't need this time bullshit, but it's there, and it's not over there yet. It's only just beginning. Oh, God. So... Uh, Riker on Beta Z looking through Deanna's effects, like, makes sure all that stuff is done, donates all to the museum, whatever. The Enterprise shows up, and Data is here. Data's gonna take him back to Starbase 86. Uh, Data's talking about the adventures he had on Forever World, and he's like, would you, would you like to know, right, would it make you feel better, Commander Riker, to know that Deanna is alive somewhere? And Riker's like, what, do you mean, like, in our hearts? That's stupid, Data. And Data's like, no, in another timeline. <laughs> It's so good. That's unironically my favorite line of the whole book. <laughs> and so Data explains that looking at the forever, like the Guardian of Forever, is like revealed to them there's like alternate timelines and stuff because the universe is a complicated place. And in one of them, Deanna probably survived and everything was fine and blah, blah, blah. And would have realized that the, like the whole thing is that the Cinderine were lying at the peace conference and De like Deanna would have found it out by looking at, because apparently the Guardian of Forever can show alternate timelines, which I don't think is how the Guardian no, of Forever works, but whatever. Least of our concerns in this book. Uh, anyway, Deanna found that they were lying in that moment in the like present tense of this book and stopped it. And then the Cinderine weren't the threat they are in this future present tense of this book and blah, blah, blah. And then Riker's like, huh, I wonder what if 
what if and then he thinks about it and then he's like what if like he orders everyone to do an autopsy on deanna's body and so they do and they find traces of a weird poison that was only invented like five years ago and data's like it could be anything sure she could have ingested something and riker's like no 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 she was poisoned by someone from the past someone from and the future riker's like and I mean, from the future, and Data's like, no, that can't be possible. What are you talking about? Like, the Guardian is sealed. Nothing can happen. And Riker's like, yeah, I guess you're right. And then he's super dejected, and Data's like, oh, he's depressed. And he tells, like, Riker's lieutenant on the Starbase to look after him and make sure he's not, like, a danger to I himself do, and others. I want to do the cut-in cut the cut thing and very quickly talk about the scene with Data and Riker. Yeah, no, go ahead, because I, I, you talk as much as you so, want. <laughs> it, it's a bigger scene than that. Like, that's all that happens plot. But they argued so much. He's like, we have to go back. We have to turn the ship around. We have to go back. And Dana's like, we can't go back. We can't change it. Even if what you're saying is true, this timeline has already happened. Well, who's not to say that, like, by changing it again, we would make it worse? Like, we can't, we have to... The the fact that this poison exists in her from the future is not enough. It could be a coincidence. It could be this other thing. There's no way to know how any of this went down. We have to, for our our own sakes, let it down. And um, Riker's just like, no, we have to go back. We have to do this for Troy. And basically what it boils down to is they're arguing for three pages about what genre of time travel story they're in. And... <laughs> It's ridiculous. Like, it's one of those kind of arguments that you only get in a series where you've had enough bullshit stories involving ridiculous sci-fi premises that you have to argue what mechanics you are actually dealing with with each other. It's... Oh, the, it's so... The temporal prime directive. The, you cannot... It, it's a Starfleet's most strict rule. <laughs> uh, anyway... Riker loses that argument and goes back to the uh, starbase, and he's really dejected. And like uh, Data even sends like a one of the like a Betazoid who's on his ship to talk to Riker to get him like to see if maybe he's secretly like harboring plans to go to the Guardian forever, and he's clearly not. Anyway, they drop him off at starbase, and then help very helpfully like two week like whatever like a week later. I don't know how long later. It doesn't really say. I don't think. Uh, it just says a couple days. Uh, uh, he's like really resigned and then he has the the realization that maybe he could go to the garden forever and fuck everything up which is what data had assumed he would do but now he just had it late enough to be useful to him and commands another ship to take him to the guardian forever and then the like lieutenant that data was like please watch him he's gonna he might run off half cocked he's like contacts data is like uh admiral rikers run off half cocked what do we do <laughs> and uh data is like don't worry i'll take care of it and so he goes to the forever planet and the other ship is there and they've been lied to about fake orders from starfleet blah 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 data goes to forever world and riker has like convinced mary mac to let him in to the guardian and is like, Data, I have to do this. And Data's like, I will destroy the Guardian and let you interfere with the time frame. And the Enterprise fires on the giant shield, but the giant shield cannot collapse in time. And so Riker jumps through into the present past thing. Oh, he sure does. And that whole scene is like, Data's commanding the Enterprise and going up to this other ship and like, we will fire on you. We will fucking destroy you. You have been lied to. And like, I don't know. It's, the Data in this book is crazy and only about to get crazier. So uh, Admiral Riker shows up uh, and it cuts back to when, or he wanted to come in like days before Deanna would like, uh, 
w- was like scheduled to die, but because the guardian is fast and everyone's yelling at him and everything was crazy, he comes in like 30 minutes before and he's like, oh, I need to do something really fast. What if data came through? Data would be like, no, I was here and try to track me down and stop me. So I have to find someone in the present time I can talk to and get them to stop Deanna from dying because he has an antidote for the poison. And he's like, oh, I'll go to Commander Riker. Commander Riker will listen. So he goes to Riker's bed and that's when we cut back to Riker saying lights and then he gets covered, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Admiral Riker slips in the antidote, reads him the poem to remind him of who he was. And Riker is so, uh, Commander Riker is so upset, he charges to Deanna's room and commands her. He's like, hey, take this. And she's like, what? And he's like, if you ever love me or trust me, take this. And she takes the antidote as the guy she's sleeping with turns into a changeling, or not a changeling, but like the furry shapeshifter that's on that episode of uh, Next Gen. Not a changeling, not a changeling. Not a that's changeling. Very, yes, that's a different thing. But uh, it's like one, it's like Lieutenant, or it's it Data's like Lieutenant on the Enterprise is like one of those shapeshifters. And it's like, oh, Enterprise agents are here. They're after me. And they stop him with a fight, blah, blah, blah. And then you have Deanna and Commander Riker D- and Picard dealing with a bitter, old, upset Admiral Riker who instantly like is ridiculously in love with Deanna once he sees her kind of like Tom Riker, but like a thousand times more powerful because he watched her die like 30 years ago and <laughs> has been sad about it ever since. And has now revisited that exact moment and saved her. Yep. So this book reaches this climax where I think this bit's okay. Like in t- like it's obviously gross, but the actual him going back in time and having to stop the poison, uh, it's, it's well done as, as ridiculous as it is. Um, and so he stopped the poison, and I'm like, oh, that's it. The book has climaxed. We are done. Uh, we're not done. Because it turns out... That's a, that's everyone else, too. They're like, oh, we saved Deanna. Timeline should snap back, and he should go back to his time. And no, he's still here. And so Riker's like, uh, or Admiral Riker's like, I'm not done. Something could be happening. I can't tell you, Deanna, what you have to do, because I don't want to interfere with the timeline more than I already did. Uh, like, I can't tell anybody, like, anything, because I can't tell you, if I use the past tense, you'll know that you died in my future, and I don't want you to change the way you act. Like, it's really uh, timeline wankery, even though he's already fucked up the he's timeline. He's already fucked up the timeline. They've already, like, talked to him, and th- basically it is used in order to, like, have him not just explain, okay, here's what's going to happen, and here's exactly what you need to do to stop it. <laughs> Even though that's like a thing, the Star Trek Star Trek time travel shows have totally done that before. It's fine, and all the drama comes from the fact that he won't say the exact phrase he needs to say to fix the problem. So anyway, what we have is uh, uh so Data's plan is like okay, did Troy needs to die because she can't tell them about the Sindarin because that has to go down how it went down. So to kill Troy. I need to succeed in that, but I also need no one to know I was here because I don't want to know that anyone is fucked with the future and fucked with the timeline. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to assassinate her, but I'm going to pretend to be law. <laughs> so uh, also he's going to deactivate data because like he has to get data out of the way. He has to get data out of the way, and so you have ostensibly the same character who has just been got older, and the believable thread at the end of this book is that data would just become the fucking terminator and assassinate troy and so riker uh, admiral riker decides that's clearly what would have happened <laughs> and <laughs> uh because that's how logic works and goes to data's room to find data and finds his body without his head and so he searches the room and finds the head and is like, we have no time. We have to stop it because Data's going to kill Troy right now. And so he tells Data's head that 
it's actually lore from the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he's like, if I tell data, the data is here to kill that future data is here to kill Troy. Maybe present data will agree with future data. And then they'll both try to kill her. And we can't have that. So I have to tell him <laughs> that it's lore from another universe. Oh, no. And he tells that to data and data immediately buys it. Cause data is a global child. Also it's star Trek. Of course, lore would do this. <laughs> yeah. At no point does anyone question why lore would show up randomly in a storyline that doesn't involve him to kill someone. <laughs> multiple characters are like yes this is a believable thing it's fine let's go look Laura's a giant asshole I believe Laura would do that <laughs> so he didn't but I believe he could then you have the, the actual best image from the entire book which is Admiral Riker grizzled old and sad running down the corridors of the Enterprise D holding Data's head to go stop Terminator Data from the future and then Data's body running alongside them because the head needs to be facing forward so Data can see where he's, his body's he's, going. He's leading the body with him. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Anyway, we're basically there now. Yeah, so they run in as Data is like made an ex- He's like gone to the conference and like talked to Troy and is like, oh, Admiral Riker had a heart attack. He's about to die. He's asking for you. She's like, I can't read him. And it's like, oh, there's so much turmoil. There's two Rikers. Maybe you just your thing doesn't work because her thing doesn't work half the time anyway. It doesn't matter. It's a pretty logical excuse to me. Anyway, she follows him and he's about to kill her. And then they barrel down the corridor and it's a data data fight and Riker's there and everyone's there. And then Deanna has a breakthrough and can read the Cinderine. And in that moment where everything is bad, she realizes that the Cinderine are lying and duplicitous and has thus set the universe back into the timeline that they saw in the Guardian as like the alternate universe that Malvern Riker was trying to make, which means everything is going to snap back to the way it was. It's ridiculous because... Not only is all the stuff of Data and Data ridiculous, which, yes, it is. It's too much. We also have the fact that apparently the way she expresses the duplicitous negotiations is to stand up in just the middle of the room and go, Liars! <laughs> just, like, point at them and, like, jacuse! <laughs> to be fair, it's in the middle of two androids trying to kill each other and old Riker barreling down the corridor being like, We have to stop lore! <laughs> We can't mess up the timeline. We have to stop law. Keep running. This is so, one of the most beloved Star Trek books. <laughs> so we're in the final section, the beginning of the end, as everyone gets tossed out of the Guardian forever. Data, the change, the shapeshifter that was on his crew, Riker, and a weird character nobody knows. And that is the mis- one of the, the, it was mentioned earlier and we didn't talk about it because whatever we're here to tell you things but not as well as you, we might uh mary mac recognizes it's marlock one of their scientists who went missing several weeks before and apparently he drugged mary mac and got her to deactivate the portal and use the portal to go into the past and change that moment to kill deanna troy so the cinderine could take over the galaxy or whatever for the glory of the cinderine and they now they have stopped him and data's like Wait, we fixed the timeline? Admiral Riker was right? Now Riker's like, yeah, of course I was right. And Data's like, why did we not know this? Why didn't the Guardian say something? And the Guardian forever is like, you did not ask. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, Peter. <laughs> fuck off. So, fuck off. One, the idea that there's a right timeline in a universe with just multiple time Like, that's not... 
There's no the the so the, the the intention like the premise of City on the Edge of Forever to me was that the Guardian could tell them that the timeline was fucked up because it was fucked up because there's only one correct timeline. But if the Guardian can show multiple timelines, there's no such thing as the correct time. Exactly. Well, no, because it's not even like the logics of it is whatever. But the idea, the the morality of it changes based on what timeline you're in. Like Riker's actions become either indefensible or the correct path based on whether or not the timeline he's in is like right or wrong in a bigger sense which isn't how anything works but then he's like oh yeah we're in the eye of the storm so we'll be the only ones who remember <laughs> but they'll only remember as long as they're near the guardian once they leave the their brains will probably snap back to the universe the way it was and as he leaves he hears he's like oh did me and troy ever get together in this universe there's no way to know did we and he like the final lines of the book is he hears just he can swear he hears it in his mind imzadi dun, dun, so dun. that that does happen and it's like the big emotional moment where like oh she's alive and waiting for him but before that as they're like dusting themselves off and like <laughs> right? well that was a hell of an adventure data's like uh data's like well that was weird it's like that one time kirk was on this, uh, here at the guardian of forever should we say the line sir and then riker's like yes we should say the line let's get the hell out of here <laughs> Like, they basically, in-universe, know that that's the Star Trek line, and so they say the Star Trek line before they beam up. Because the the, the book, like, a- begins with, let's get the head out of here, and Data's watching that scene happen, and then he's like, nope. oh, I guess we better do the scene then, guys! <laughs> uh, and also, there's, a, like, an additional amazing bit in this end bit where Riker goes, I think you knew you were wrong, and that's why you didn't kill her as quickly as you could have killed her. <laughs> Which is not how data works at all. <laughs> well, he's got a he's he's programmed. He can't he can't betray the Federation. That's in his programming. Yeah. I think he speaks for everyone when he says "to hell with our orders." <laughs> <laughs> the, that's the end of the book. We finished the book. We're done. We're free. Thank God. Oh, this was a long episode. This was a lot. This book deserved a lot. Oh boy! Not because it is good, because it is the opposite of that, and because it is bad. Oh. Oh, I read it all in mostly one night as well. Like I read about thirty percent of it, and then I read the rest just in in one night. Most mostly out of necessity because I had to get done, uh, and I decided I'm gonna you know play an MMO for a week, which don't do that. Uh, but then I read it all in one night, and it just made so much more. Like I I can't tell if it would have been more painful to have it like hanging over me or not. But but anyway, I hated it. I hated it so much. There were some hilarious bad things that are like enjoyable to joke about. Like Dad Wesley and Riker running through the hallway with Data's head with Data's body. <laughs> the funniest image, but no, it's terrible. That's it. That's the book. Please come back next month for the next book. We are going back to DS9 relaunch it. Gotta it's gotta be better. It's good. It be. All all the DS9 books are better than this, every single one. So uh, that's it for Mzadi. We will be back someday with Mzadi oh, 2 don't... Triangle. <laughs> Even though it's more like the square. Asking me if I like what you were playing, then the answer is yes. 
You know, this is a much better way of communicating for you. It's far less confusing than the way you normally speak. I knew I could count on my Mzadi, the ship's counselor, to boost my self-image. I'm glad to be of service. You can ask us questions if you have questions. You can send them to podcast.abnormalmapping.com. Send us, you know, thoughts about Star Trek. It could be about specific episodes. It could be about your favorite things. It doesn't matter. We'll talk about it. We have one question, and it is on Twitter. It is from our friend Dia. The question is, which is your favorite of Riker's girlfriends and why? Jackson, do you have an answer? No, because I've not watched the show enough. Like, I know he has a bunch, uh, but I don't remember, like, his... Uh, I don't remember many of his love interests. I remember, okay. like, the genderless one. I remember that being fucking terrible. It's bad. That part's bad. That one's bad. Don't don't pick that one. Anyone who picks that one is wrong and bad. <laughs> no, I know. But, like, that's one of the only ones that sticks in my mind. I don't remember Riker ever being like, oh, yeah, that one's good for Riker. So I want I want so to my be favorite one... told. Oh, go ahead. No, I want you to tell me. Okay, so the only good one that isn't Deanna Troy, um, which arguably doesn't even count because they're not together in any of the show, um is because the problem with Riker is that he starts off as like the Kirk stand-in and then the show is not about any of that stuff so he doesn't get to like womanize it all and the ones where he does is embarrassing because you know it's just an alien that is never going to show up again but the one time that's not true is in season five uh Riker is among probably all the crew the one that is most like antagonistic towards Ro Laren because she's like the person who questions a bunch of authority, but then there's an episode where everyone's mind memories are erased and they're like trying to piece together who they are on the ship. And oh, so Riker good. and Rove Laren mistake the part where they like constantly are antagonistic towards each other for attraction for each yes! other and spend right. like three days just in love shacked up like fucking. Oh, that's so good. That's the best. I'm with you. I forgot about that, but that episode's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Worf's like, I'm clearly the captain. I've got to be the captain. <laughs> I have the sash. <laughs> oh, what if I just start everything and watch TNG? <laughs> it's a really good episode. It's called Conundrum. Yeah, it's it's in season five. So <sighs> yeah. Uh, and so the like brief, and then once everyone gets their memories back, and uh, Riker and Rolaren don't pick up that romance but they do have this moment where they're like wow that was crazy i guess we do kind of like each other a bit and then they're nicer towards each other but i really do like that moment where they are together i think they're a cute pair yeah, that's yeah that's good that's good stuff thank you for the question yep uh and that's it uh like we said next month we're doing balance of terror we're doing uh mirror mirror from tos we're reading twilight the deep space nine book come back next month for that jackson please plug our other stuff we do a video game podcast called Abnormal Mapping. You can find it at abnormalmapping.com along with our other shows, The Amory Score and Goof Zone. Uh, Amory Score is me and Molly Rhinebeck yelling about the story of Coheed and Cambria. It's profoundly stupid. You'll have a good time. Goof Zone is me and Destiny talking about mental health, which is also stupid, but uh, much more of an uplifting time. It won't make you feel bad about the world. Yep. Uh, and then there's just video games, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you can talk, you can talk about video games. <laughs> As always, you can find us at patreon.com slash abnormalmapping. I'm on Twitter at EM underscore being. You're on Twitter at headfallsoff. That's it. We're done. Please. I've been talking too long. My voice hurts. I need to stop thinking about this book. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>